Welcome listeners to a very special episode. We are actually doing our very first re-release of Denis Villeneuve's fifth film, Prisoners. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. Now the original episode came out March 2017 and it was a bonus episode attached to our our Hannibal Lecter movie review series. We felt it was kind of a spiritual successor to Silence of the Lambs. You will hear us talk mm-hmm. about that later on in the re-released episode. But it came with a catch. The bonus episodes that was something in the very early days of Silver Screen Guide was putting out a $1.99 bonus episode um, just so it could be free. We had really no following at that point, so didn't really make much sense to charge for right. the episode. But now that we are going back through reviewing all of Denise's films leading up to the release of Dune this October, we are releasing Prisoners for free. No one has heard this review. Nobody bought it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I am excited to re-release this one. Just be warned, listeners, it is a three-hour long review. This was back in the days where we really didn't have much of a format for the podcast. We were just mm-hmm. kind of rambling, really going along with our thoughts. And that wasn't even a full runtime of the review, was it, Alan? Right. So the final published review was three hours and six minutes. Um, but looking at the raw files, because I've kept every single podcast we've ever recorded I've kept all of the project files and all of the raw recordings. The original recordings were three hours and 26 minutes. So I ended up chopping out about 20 minutes worth of material when we put up that original review. And in retrospect, after listening to it before this a new opening, definitely could have used um, some more <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect. But yeah, we cut out about... 20 minutes, so the original recording was a little bit longer than what I what ended up going up. Yes, the podcast started out with some pretty long episodes, and it has become more condensed, more concise over the years. We have an actual format now. We actually have more of a purpose with our reviews, more direction, I would say. So mm-hmm. it is interesting to go back and listen to our review. Alan, you said you listened to the entire three hours I got about an hour and 45 minutes listened, plus our rating and recommendations way at the very end. I only made it halfway through and it was an incredibly long podcast and I couldn't help but just kind of smile to myself, chuckle to myself a little bit because, wow, listeners, you'll hear it. We have really changed over the years. Um, We really just gushed over prisoners probably more so than we should have gushed over the film and yeah we did go off on a lot of tangents as well yeah i would say we also definitely long kind of going on along the lines of a lot of tangents uh there were definitely a lot of moments where uh you know we would give a criticism <coughs> was what we'd say yeah. um but if you know if we had looked a little bit deeper into the film then the answer was there um, so for, for example, a, a good example, uh, is I give a criticism at one point of, uh, the song that Alex sings that causes, uh, what's his name? Oh, Keller yeah. Yeah. to go after him and then eventually capture Alex. Right. Uh, the, the song that, you know, Jingle, Jingle Bells. Bells, Batman Smells, that jingle, right? Yes. Um, I say, 
my criticism was that, oh, well, it's too, you know, too known, it's too popular of a jingle for uh, there to be any, like, good reason for him to go after this. So I don't see why he did that. And I called it a criticism. But of course, that's kind of the point. Now what I'm listening back to it. Um, mm -hmm. The point is, it's just built on top of, you know, conspiracy, I guess. Um, that's the point. The point is that it is popular, not that it's, you know, a dead giveaway that he is, you know, he actually did what he, he actually did what Cutter thinks that he did. Exactly. They're grasping on to right. anything that they can. He is somewhat naive and building off of conclusions that he wants to draw in order to justify his actions. So, I mean, I, I think it, we would benefit from just fully re-reviewing the mm -hmm. film probably, but there's really no point in reviewing this film twice. Ultimately, my rating has changed, actually, from the first rating that I gave this film. I originally gave it a 10 out of 10. I called it the perfect film. I think my theatrical viewing was a 9. It bumped up to a 10. I'm actually dropping it down to an 8. I still think this is a great film. I find the mystery to be engaging. Roger Deakins' cinematography is just some of the best. He always does an incredible job. And the performances, I still love Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, give these really kind of raw performances that are very emotional. And I know some critics didn't like that. But overall, this is, I think, a very well done mystery. I think I can see why some people think some of it may not pay off. There may be one or two red herrings that just don't need to be there. But you know, especially watching it after seeing Denis' foreign films, and then this is kind of his first, you know, major American film, if you could call that. It was his highest grossing film at the time. He had his biggest budget at the time. It's still incredibly highly praised and received across all of the, you know, critic platforms and audience review platforms. It's still considered one of his best films up there at the top. But for me, it's still a 8 out of 10. It's a still a strong recommend. I just don't think it's as good. It's, I don't think it's as good as Incendies. I personally think Incendies is better. Yeah, after watching Incendies, which at the time I had not seen, um, I, I think that they're very much, very close, I would say. Uh, I'm going to say, I think, my, so my original rating was a 9. Um, I'm going to say I'm kind of between an eight and a nine. I, I think I'm going to ultimately land on an eight. Um, but it's like an eight, almost nine. So my rating hasn't changed a whole lot since that original recording, but I think you're right. I think that it is a good mystery. I think that it's definitely one that only Denis could pull off too, because it definitely also feels like it, especially after watching Incendies and seeing that you know, that's kind of the style that he would stay with for a while. Right. Um, after, and that kind of spawned from uh, Maelstrom, you know, after seeing that, I'd say that this uh, Prisoners is definitely the more American ver Americanized version of, you know, what he's done before. So I still very much enjoy this film. I need to buy a new Blu-ray because the one that I got was used and skipped a couple oh. of scenes, which is just great. Um, oh no. But I'm, my rating hasn't changed a whole lot since we recorded this. Well, listeners, I am curious to see what some of you will think going back hearing this, you know, previously never before heard review from ours from way back in the day, from the early days of Silver Screen Guide. Mm -hmm. You're getting a glimpse kind of back in time at what our reviews sounded like. They're much different now. So 
we are releasing this to dip your toes back in the Denis waters. We will be coming back to, you know, review the rest of his, as of right now, theatrically released films. We will be coming back in five weeks. Next week, we are reviewing Candyman 1, and then we are going through the rest of the Candyman films leading up to the theatrical release of the new Candyman movie. And then on Monday, September 13th, our review of Enemy will drop. From there, we'll do Sicario, Arrival, and then you'll have to wait six weeks for Dune to come out because they pushed the dang movie back again. Anyways, we will be getting to it. We will be reviewing all of Denis' films this year. Well, listeners, without further ado, please enjoy our original review of Prisoners. Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our Hannibal Lecter retrospective series. This is not actually a Hannibal Lecter film. This is actually a bonus episode we're doing because we feel it pairs very nicely with the Lecter series. Today, Alan and I are reviewing Prisoners. Yes. Prisoners is directed by Denise Villeneuve. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Written by Aaron Guzikowski. Starring Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Viola Davis, Terrence Howard, Maria Bello, Melissa Leo, and Paul Dano. And this film was released September 20th, 2013. Now, before we get into the film, I want to give you all a little information at Silver Screen Guide. We like to discuss some of the background details into the film, a little bit of the information, uh, what that means for the film. This film is... Uh, actually, in the top uh, two, what is it? Top two fifty best on IMDb. Yeah, this film is two thirty two, so it's pretty. It's riding in on the coattails, but still, that's that's an impressive achievement. Yeah, I mean, even just being on the list at all is a a, a big achievement, I would say. And this film is pretty highly rated on IMDb. Oh yeah, it has an eight point one. Getting over an eight on IMDb is not the easiest to do. No. Also, this film had a budget of $46 million, and it did open at number one opening weekend. I was there in the theaters. I was really eager to see this film. So I was jealous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was ready to see it. I was so excited, and boy, did it not. It didn't disappoint. It had an opening weekend of $20 million, which is not for a film that has a budget of 46 million i'd say that's pretty good opening right weekend. right and it's rated r too so yes especially when you're dealing with a hard r about a very touchy subject matter yeah. it's kind of a weird demographic yeah it really is and it's funny because you wouldn't you wouldn't expect very many families to go see this movie but on opening weekend i got my parents and my sister in the theater with me <laughs> So we saw this as a family. Uh, yeah, when we left, my my parents were were just not really understanding why why we wouldn't saw that. As a family. <laughs> I guess that makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> so, well, okay, let's say this. This is a cautionary tale, honestly. It would be, yeah. For yeah, for any potential parents out there or any current parents out there to really keep an eye on your children. You know? Yeah, but back to the box office. This beat Insidious Chapter Two, 
Um, this was Insidious Chapter 2's second week there. Insidious, of course, came in second, but it, it beat it there. So this film, it wasn't a blockbuster by any no. means at all. It grossed $61 million here in the States. Oddly enough, the foreign market was $61 million as well. <laughs> for a worldwide total of $122 million, I would say it, it did pretty well for a budget of $46 oh, million. Yeah. So that's, and that's a pretty that's small good. budget too, $46 million? That's not bad. Like that's that's it pretty really cheap. Is that is a that's a small budget. Yeah. And this film is I I felt like it was pretty long. It was pretty long. I remember when we watched it. When I saw it the first time, it was in your movie theater or your theater room. Mm-hmm. And although I love the film, I did start to feel its length. Sure. I, I agree. the The runtime is two hours thirty three minutes. Now you will not. I mean, you potentially could be sitting in the theater that long, but you would have to stay for the credits. Right. I just to be generous, I usually take take out close to ten minutes for credits and closing logos and everything like that. Right. So it's it's closer to a little over two hours and twenty minutes, which is still pretty long too. Which is definitely still long. Movies today, I feel like, are getting closer to that longer side. Oh and yeah, getting audiences back into that, which is kind of returning to how it used to be. Right. Films used to be well over three hours in theaters. Now you don't really see much of a film that's an hour and a half anymore. It's always an hour 45, hour 50, over that two-hour mark. Yeah, and we've been getting close to three hours. So and honestly, this kind of did feel like a three-hour film it, in a it way. It did. It did. It really did. And especially I paused it this time just to really read things or take notes. Yeah. So that did increase my runtime to uh, probably not three hours but close to it. So this film is... If if you get yourself in the right mindset, I would say it's a pretty immersive experience. And, uh, oh, I, I really want to mention this. This film actually was nominated for an Oscar. That's right. It, it was. I forgot about that. It was nominated for Best Achievement in Cinematography by Roger Deakins. Ah, love him. Roger Deakins is an incredible cinematographer. Yes. He, he really does incredible work. It, I did not go back to check what other – what film won for Best Cinematography – that year mm-hmm. so roger roger deakins he's been in the industry for quite a while and since then he has worked again with denise Villeneuve for i believe sicario yeah I believe he was working with him again and we will talk about the cinematography later on in the podcast oh yeah we that's something we had to touch on now that's too good to pass up absolutely i really made notes over that it, it's very well done it really sucks you in and also the choice of using I believe it was shot in 185.1. Yes. Yeah, it would have been. So I could tell because I have a uh, I have a 140-inch screen. I have a movie theater room in my home. and That I'm not jealous of at all. <laughs> yeah, nobody is. <laughs> but it was really – I was really pleased to see that they did shoot it in 185.1 because I feel like that makes it more personal in a way. Yeah. Whereas 235.1, which is what uh, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings are shot in, that is much more of a detached cinematic experience. Right, right. Whereas this is more of a personal, up close, it really immerses you that way. So I I didn't remember it was shot in that aspect ratio, but I was really pleased to see that. So going back to the Oscar thing, uh, I should have known this. I can't believe I forgot about this. Gravity won Best Cinematography. Oh. That makes sense to me. That was more of an experimental film, if anything. Yeah. So that's why it won Best Cinematography. 
That makes sense. And that was what? What's his name? Alf- Alfonso. The Alfonso Cuarón is the director. Sure. Emmanuel oh, Lewinsky okay. is the cinematographer. He also did. He's basically worked on. Did, M- he's he just won for the Revenant, didn't he? Yes. Yes, he yeah. did. That's right. Yeah. And he also he him and Alfonso Cuarón did a lot of stuff together. They also did Children of Men and one other. Film. Didn't he win for Children of Men? I he either won. I know he has been nominated at least six oh, yeah. times. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He also did Birdman. That's it. That's the one. He, yeah, I'm pretty sure he won for Birdman. Yeah, he did. He also. won for that one. And that also won Best best Director and Best Picture yes. also. So, sorry, Roger Deakins. Hopefully another day. Yeah. We we love you. We love your work. Uh, Gravity was a really incredible film. Actually, they played the preview for Gravity on my Blu-ray before Prison. Seriously? <laughs> I watched the preview. I've seen Gravity twice. Mm-hmm. And I would love to own it on Blu-ray Same. because out we we've watched it in the we theater. We did, room. didn't we? Yeah, and that was just oh, incredible. that was cool. Oh, I that is an incredible. You want to know experience. how many times I watched that movie in theaters? How many times? Three times. <laughs> oh wow! Because one time my uncle took mm. me and I and a bunch of other people. That was two of them were actually in IMAX 3D. Believe it or not. Oh my gosh! I would have loved to have seen that. That in IMAX was 3D. freaking oh. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so I watched it once, twice in IMAX, and I think once in, like, the regular theater. Once with my uncle, once was with a friend, and once was with my soon-to-be girlfriend at the time. So, mm. that was actually our very first date, technically. So, that was mm. pretty cool. Well, I'm glad your first date wasn't Prisoners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would have kind of brought the, brought the mood down. Yeah, maybe a little bit. So... But Gravity is a review that I, I really hope – well, it's a movie that I hope we review is what I mean yeah, to say. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully hopefully we'll get to that. But that and – that was just an incredible visual experience, oh, yeah. which like Interstellar was. And I'm pretty sure Interstellar won Best Cinematography um, just because – I don't know if it won that. It might have. I tweeted about it. I tweeted about it. You're right. It did. I'm wrong. I'm thinking of music. I remember tweeting about it. I'm, I'm thinking of music. It did not win in music because Grand Budapest Hotel beat it in music, in score, at least. That makes sense. Only mildly disappointed, but I can get over it. <laughs> Speaking of score, we will talk about the score yes. of this film also. Yes, we will. But before we jump into the film, I want to give you a quick plot summary real quick. And before that, yeah, this summary does contain spoilers, and so will this entire review. Since we discuss these films in depth, we have to spoil them. So if you haven't seen Prisoners, I implore you right now please. to hit pause. Yes, please hit pause. Go ahead and watch the film. And then come back, hit play, and then you can follow along with us. You can discuss with us. We we do have a comment section, by the way. Over on the podcast, you can comment under the podcast, and you can comment on our website, silverscreenguide.wordpress.com. So that way you can give us your thoughts and you can engage with us what you thought about this film. So I want to give you a spoiler alert, a spoiler warning. You've been warned. We're going to jump into it right now. Keller and Grace Dover are loving parents of a son and daughter. On Thanksgiving Day, they visit their friends, the Birches, who have two daughters of their own. When their two young daughters go outside to get Anna's red whistle, they don't come back, throwing the two families into a panic. Keller Dover will go as far as it takes to find his daughter, while Detective Loki pursues the case within the ramifications of the law. Through one heart-pounding and heartbreaking week, 
Their daughters are finally rescued, but at what cost? Let us now discuss prisoners. So the opening shot of this is of some woods. And then oh, yes. the, we hear Keller Dover reciting the Lord's Prayer as a deer comes out from behind yes. a few trees. And then yes. his son shoots him right after he finishes reciting it. And then it cuts to black and shows the title. At first, I felt that was an odd choice. Yeah. But when I thought about the words, it made more sense. It's very poignant. It's, it is setting up what is about to happen. Right. When he says... As we forgive those who trespass against us, what we will discuss and what I I think this viewing is what really made me realize it, how much Christianity and praying oh, yeah. and God is talked about in this film. Oh, yeah. I, I really didn't realize that until this viewing. So we do. We open up with the Lord's Prayer, and I, I really like how he's talking. Like the Lord's Prayer says, deliver us from evil. I feel like it's... It's a really nice setup. Oh, yeah, definitely. To what's to come. It, it really, if you are paying attention, then you'll realize it's very well done foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. And it's not the first time this that he'll recite this prayer either. He says it at least two or three times again later on, too. Yeah, I, I think he at least pulls out segments of, of yeah, it or something. Yeah, at least segments. And we also see he has a cross hanging from his rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. This guy's definitely, I'd say he's definitely a believer. He is, yes. He is a believer. I feel like he is trying to believe as best as he can or as best as he was taught or, or feels he can. Right. So, And we'll get into kind of his faith because he really does have a crisis of faith yeah, oh yeah. in this movie. So we'll get into that a little later. He, he is a prepper. We learn that he's a prepper. Yeah. Which kind of makes you think that, you know, he... I'm trying to I'm trying to put down like how I view how I as an audience member viewed his faith. I kind of viewed his faith as very like dogmatic, as kind of like rule bound. Yeah. As we're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer, we do it every time we shoot a deer, you go to church, you be a man, you take care of your family, kind of like the biblical Old Testament kind of faith yeah. and understanding of it, right. if that makes sense. Right. And being a being a prepper, I don't know. He when we see his basement later, it's pretty intense like how much he's prepared for. Right. And he even and even explains that he's always preparing, you know, for the worst and stuff and that right. he always when in the scene when Joan Hall comes down to the basement, he finds out the wife kind of explains to him, yeah, he's always, you know, preparing for the worst and stuff and just in mm -hmm. case there was something going to happen, now we have this entire basement full of like uh, food and stuff that we can survive off of. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like we have faith in God, but I'm the father. I'm the first line of defense. Yeah. If something bad happens, we're going to have faith in me and my preparation. Right. Of, you know. So I don't know. I don't want to be too judgmental in that capacity. Right. And that definitely plays into his character, though, because the guy is one of the, it, the, his character that Hugh Jackman plays. Is definitely a guy that's like, if this is what I'm going to do, then I'm going to do it, you know. He doesn't really, doesn't really think twice about his actions. No half measures. Yeah. Like, if he's going to do it, then he's going to do it, you know. It's not like one of those things where he's like, going to sit back like, well, should I do this or shouldn't I? Or shouldn't I? It's more of like, no, this is for like, my family. I'm going to do this. And that, that gets into quite a bit of trouble later on in the film. Yes. But then we cut to this ominous old mobile home. Yeah. 
and we we kind of are from its point of view as it's driving around this neighborhood and we see it we, the first i don't honestly know what what the first house we see is if it's important or not so i don't know if the first house any has any significance it this movie was hard because i think this was my th- third or fourth time watching it yeah same and for the first time i really felt like i was able to pay attention and grasp like i was just like okay so this is setting up this and this is foreshadowing for that but then still there's even things that they talk about later on that i'm like wait did they actually show that did i miss that Mm -hmm. because i this movie is it's got a lot to it so there is a lot to remember even on so then almost like when I finished it, I kind of wanted to just like go back and right. rewatch it again and see what else I missed. Just be like, okay, now I feel like I've got most of the gaps filled in, but I think I could fill in even more right. if I had right. the opportunity. But that wasn't plausible. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was a bit long and we're still college students. So <laughs> it is poignant that the mobile home is driving by these houses. Yeah. It's driving by this house on Fairmont Circle. And then it drives to the Birch's house. I it drives past the Birch's house, which is the black family's yeah. house, uh, Viola Davis and Terrence Howard. And I don't, I don't think it ever drives past the Dover's house. No, I, it doesn't get that far. Okay. And we, we we're finally introduced to the complete family of the Dover's. Yes. Uh, there's quite the age gap between the brother and sister. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I, I kind of we we know they're going over to their friend's house, right. but I wish I would I wish there would have been some setup as to how they're friends. Yeah, my only thing I'm just guessing that maybe they're just neighbors, you know, and they just know each other for a long time. They just kind of well, got into but this thing. Kind of a, yeah, but there was kind of a walk though. Yeah, I mean, so I wondered maybe what if they're church friends? Maybe, maybe. They go to the same church. That would make sense. I, I I know that their daughters probably go to the same school. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure of it. So I probably would have appreciated a little more background into this friendship, into this exposition, just because they don't seem that similar of people. Right. Because Keller Dover is kind of like, he is like a repairman or something. Like a handyman, repairman. He's Mr. Tough, you know, and... They're kind of they're like middle class, whereas I would say the Birches are upper middle class. Yeah. Terrence Howard, they're they're clearly more wealthy, yeah. and he's not really as tough, I would say, as Hugh Jackman's character. Right, right. And for me, this didn't bother me at all because um, it's kind of like oh, they're just yeah. friends. Like who knows how they, how they became sure. friends? You know, they're, they're just friends, and that's all we we really need to know about you know their relationship and stuff. So in, it yeah. didn't bother me at all, but I, I can see why. It, right. It didn't, I don't know, it didn't bother me. Yeah. But I, there's, it's just like a question right. that I had. Right. Whereas I would say this movie, there are certain parts where we'll get into them, but I have questions. Yeah. And they're not going to be answered. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I agree. So I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it is, they only have so much. I mean, it is two and a half hours. It, it is pushing the runtime. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much they can do. But, and it's Thanksgiving Day. And the girls go out to play. And this is when we kind of begin to get all of our, like, a lot of outdoor shots. There are a lot of outdoor shots. Yeah. This, a lot of this movie takes place outdoors. And it's very, always very, I believe this film takes place in Pennsylvania. I think you're and, right. And, yeah, I read a newspaper thing in the movie. I'm pretty sure they're talking about Pennsylvania. But... It's it's very cloudy. It's always very cloudy and very rainy, and I really like yeah. that. Yeah, throughout the entire film, it's like that. 
it just really gets oh, you yeah. in this drab, depressed mood. It's winter. Right. Uh, well, it's fall. Fall is ending. Winter is beginning. This film is like right at the door of winter. Yes. Which is perfect because, you know, winter is more of a quote unquote depressing time of year for some people. Right. And this is a depressing movie, you know? Yeah. So I, mean, I say the season this takes place because if this took place in summer, it just wouldn't fit at all. Sure. No, 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 no. No, no, no. And we will we will discuss um, summer a little right. bit. There's actually an interesting connection to summer that I noticed. But these girls are how old would you say? Six or seven? Yeah, I'd say a little bit older than that. Maybe around ten or twelve. Maybe what? Around ten. Okay, I'd say we, ten. Maybe not twelve. Okay, Alan jumped up like way <laughs> higher than me. <laughs> There's still okay, a significant I, gap between their siblings, though. Okay, yeah, their siblings are both teenagers, and they're, I'm going to say seven. Alan can think they're older. I think they're but older. Two tools of thought. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I thought they were, I thought they were pretty young, like seven, maybe, maybe eight. I won't, I don't think I want to go any higher yeah. than eight. But still, they're still old enough that I think their parents should have taught them not to bang on people's vehicles yeah. and climb on their vehicles. What were they doing with, they just found they a chunk of ice. run in the street. Yeah, they just found a chunk of ice, was like, oh, I'm going to throw, let me beat it on this, uh, this bumper. <laughs> like, What? <laughs> Uh, that was a little, yeah. And then she's climbing on it and yeah. her brother's like, no, you can't do that. What are you doing? And I'm like, didn't their parents teach them slightly better than this? Yeah. But, I mean, uh, especially if, you know, your dad's Mr. Dover. I mean, I would, yeah. I would assume that he would, you Mr. know. Mr. Dover hands out spanking. Yeah. Can tell. That's what I was thinking. Like maybe like if like, that's how you're going to let your child act, then how are you being a parent? But yeah. And so far I want to call attention that the school. Score really hasn't been utilized. No, there really hasn't been like anything. They used it. Yeah, there hasn't really been anything at all. No, and I like that because it kind of settles me in. I'm kind of settled. Yeah, because I'm gonna. I'm about to be really unsettled, but I'm settled so far. Right, right, and I like that. Most of this movie is pretty quiet too. It's a pretty quiet, drab movie. I would say it really is, and that really works because this film is pretty dark and it definitely Ooh, uses yeah. that to its advantage. Like when things are really serious, there's not much score that's utilized and that I like that. It helps a Me lot. Too. Yeah. It really lets you settle into their like tranquil suburban life yeah. where nothing bad has ever happened, nor does it seem it would in their nice middle to upper class neighborhood. Right. Right. It, it just, from where they live, it's like, oh, this is just a safe place, normal neighborhood, normal American neighborhood, you know. Nothing bad is going to happen here until, you know, about five minutes later in the film. <laughs> yes. So. But you also notice that, like we talked about, the outdoor shots are very dreary. Yes. But the indoor shots are very bright. They're very happy. Yeah, they're very Lots vibrant. Bright yellows. Yeah, vibrant's a good word for it. So they're really creating this contrast right right now and to kind of like the safety of the home and the dark world that's right out there like the dark you know? the dark the scary outside world you know there's not much right. color when they go outside and yeah as you said there's a lot wider shots when they're outside too everything's like showing you this is the outside but when they're inside it's a bit up close and more personal so mm -hmm. that definitely helps with setting the mood as well as we talked about just a second ago is just that the difference between the inside and the outside is way different there's a big line yeah. between like uh how safe you feel from inside and outside well i want to ask you a question about one of the sh one of the next shots yeah. we get and it's one of the shots that really caught my attention and we're going to get a couple more shots just like this 
it's of the outside of the Birch's home, and there's the tree blocking yep. most of the shot, and it's a slow zoom. Yes. In. So I, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that, because that's an interesting shot. It is an interesting shot. And when I first saw it, I knew what happened. And that's, I think, I think it's what's most effective about the scene is that it doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't give us any sort of context. It's just this tree, the slow pan towards the tree, and then the music starts fading in. And instantly we know as an audience, oh no, they're gone, you know? Yeah. Because mm, um, that's yeah. like that's the only thing we're given is just a visual a visual story that they've been taken mm. at this point, you know. And remember earlier in the film when they were out and they were shooting the deer, you know, that definitely helps tie back to uh, the tree and why they're showing the trees because they you know they were seeing those prayer and they shot the deer and stuff. So I, I'd say it's definitely a tie back to the the forest. And then later also when they find Alex and his camper and tries to drive off mm-hmm. he drives straight into a tree mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. trees yeah. play a very prominent role i would i honestly i don't know exactly what the shot's supposed to mean but i can pick up on hints of what it could mean because it is yes. it's interesting it's, like you said it's a very interesting shot yes and the other thing to keep in mind is that the trees are dying right and it's kind of like these characters are eventually dying on the inside so it's kind of like this dark foreshadowing you know for forbearance that this is what's going to happen right and it also really made me think of a film that i don't recommend and i wouldn't watch again because it's mega depressing mm-hmm. it's i had to watch it for film class it's called the virgin suicides okay and in their nice tranquil neighborhood the trees have this disease so all the trees are dying and the youngest daughter uh, doesn't want the trees to be cut down. They're cutting down all the trees because they're dying. They they have a disease that's spreading around. And she kind of like hides things in the trees. And spoiler alert, she dies. Mm-hmm. She kills herself. And so do all of her other sisters. Very depressing. Right. So this is kind of, it kind of made me think of that though. How the trees were dying in that movie. The trees are dying in this movie. Winter is coming. Right. Um, it's just kind of. A really kind of grim shot that this movie is going to be grim. This tree is dead. It's grim. Right. The home, the tree is blocking the home. The tree is blocking you from the safe, warm inside. Yeah. And if I if I remember right, maybe you can hear a little bit of the laughter going on inside. I know you can in a different shot later yeah. on. So I think that's uh, that's kind of like my thoughts on it. It's kind of like talking about it. It's helping me work it out because it's very unique. Oh, yeah. For a shot. I'd say it's master class because even though it gives us no context at all of what's happened what's happened we know as an audience what happened because the shot and it's just that well done it's great symbolism absolutely and what is i what's funny to go from something very serious to something funny is when we get the basement Mm -hmm. when we're in the basement with the son and daughter they're watching spongebob yeah together yeah they are and they're just like they like look so bored they don't give a crap they're just sitting far apart mm-hmm. clearly no romantic interest it's a platonic relationship yeah. and they're just watching spongebob and they're teenagers right it's like the adults upstairs are having a lot of fun we're just down here like now what do we do I you know. know like what are we supposed to do I now <laughs> i thought that was funny yeah. these are really great establishing shots in the beginning just establishing reality honestly Absolutely. this is really real yeah this movie is very very realistic and in your face well, I, th- I think it's part of the scariest part of this is that it's so real and, oh, and stuff yes. that it really kind of sits you on edge because, I mean, Absolutely. it's about a kidnapping. It could happen to anybody. And 
two two small girls. Yeah, and that and that's one of the things I really like about you know Dover's character is that he plans for the worst, but yet his daughter is still kidnapped from him. You know, yep. and part yeah. of me is wondering like, could he have stopped this Eve like any way other than physically going with them to go get that red whistle that they were trying to go get? And I don't know. I don't know if there was much that he could have done except mm-hmm. for go with them or have somebody else go with him as well. well. Yeah, I mean, my only thought is I, I understand that kids will not always listen to what you say, yeah. no matter like how well you teach them. I'm sure they taught them, you know, don't go, don't talk to strangers, even though they were banging on the vehicle. So I don't know, maybe they should have taught them a little better. Don't go off alone. Right. Don't go off without me. Even though they're like, oh, we're together. We're going to my our house right down the street. It's okay. Still, that I think that's the only thing. Right. If he would have gone with them, they would have been safe. Right. If maybe if maybe if they would have taught them a little better, they would have been safe. Otherwise, no, there's nothing they could have. Done. Right. So I don't know. I just think that was interesting how Dover's character, Scary. but his daughter is still his daughter still gets kidnapped. Oh yeah. So, yeah. He he preps for everything except the one thing you really can't right. prep for. Exactly. And I think that's one but of yeah. the things that makes this movie really scary is that this guy, even though he's known to prep for anything, his daughter still was kidnapped and kind of helps set in that mood that this could happen to anybody, you know. Oh, it really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you get a, a multiracial cast. Right. You know, you have a black family that's upper middle class. You have a white family that's just more so middle class. Uh, you see different people from all walks of life and even people later on that this could happen to anyone. Right. Right. No one is quote unquote safe. Right. Really. And that's, you know, safe. that's the, I'd say that's one of the scarier parts of the film too. It really is. And that's why I said parents and like, and this film is a hard R. Yeah. It's hard. And it's hard R. this film is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And I even heard a rumor that it was almost NC-17, but they took out, I think it was, I think they were going to do something on, they were going to like touch on pedophilia, but then they're like, the, the MPA was like, uh, if you do that, it's going to be NC-17. Yeah. And so they pulled it out. I, I could also see it being NC-17 for violence. Yeah. Especially when we get later on into the film. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm glad they didn't introduce pedophilia into it. Same. I feel like that might have just detracted from the way it was going. Yeah, I think it would have been too much for the audience. Yeah, it would have been a bit too much. We don't want to watch something too horrific. Yeah, that's a bit bit over the edge, I would say. It, yeah, it, it, that's a step too far. I mean, I know that they, they definitely bring up the topic, but it doesn't go anywhere. Oh, yeah. They 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 bring it up a number of times. Yeah. But it never that part um, never plays into what's really happening in the story. So Sure. Yeah, there are a lot of directions that it possibly could go. Oh, yeah. Like a maze. <gasps> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much like a maze. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of directions, a lot of potential leads, a lot of potential dead ends, which I really love that symbolism. Oh, yeah. When I was writing my final thoughts, I was like, okay, <laughs> oh my gosh, this just hit me. You yeah, know? yeah. All of the stuff. I'll get into it later, but wow, yes. So, but, okay, back back to the scenes, yes. back to the music. The music that we get when they find out the daughters are, they can't find them. It's really hard to put into words. Yeah, it's like it has a lot of strings, and it's like yeah. very eerie, very quiet too. It isn't always in your face, like oh no, the guys are taken. You know what are we gonna do now? It's like this right. very subtle noise in the background. Exactly, and it's honestly kind of I'm like it's not necessarily somber, somber, right. but maybe it's a little hopeful. Like there's the possibility 
the daughters could be in the closet right, or something. Right. And they're like, oh, ah, you know, like, oh, you scared us to death. Right. But then there's a very real possibility they could be kidnapped. Right. It, so it I really think it line of, plays with that. It really does. Yeah. It rises line of hopeful yet. But yet, you know, that it is kind of signaling like you want to be hopeful in those situations. Right. right. But it's really hard to be, and it's more so you're going to lean towards being frantic, and you know you know something bad's going to happen. Exactly, right. But so far, I am really uh, enjoying the performances. Oh, yeah. And especially when I feel like they get into the performances that they will be, because there is a transformation of... I, I don't know. Okay, I wouldn't say it's really a transformation. There's a quote I really wish I could remember who it's from. It, the quote is, the situations don't make the man, the situation reveals the man. Yes, that's a good quote. I know I know what you're talking about, but I don't know who it is from either. So this, because we see Keller Dover laughing in the beginning, mm-hmm. having a great time, you know, maybe drinking a little bit. I don't know if he was or not. They're just having a good time. And we see him just really descend into a very, very dark oh, character. Oh, yeah. He, he switches from a really likable guy into almost a monster, I would say, towards the later half of the film. Yeah, but props to Hugh Jackman. Oh. I mean, he really embodies the role. Oh, he – There, I wouldn't say – I'd say he is like the perfect choice for the role that they gave him. Yeah. He does such a fantastic job here. And when I first watched the movie, I was like – well, they, he could have done better. And then I watched it now. And I was like, no, I was so wrong about that. Because now I completely yes. understand where all, every, everywhere he's coming from now. That I'm, you know, more mature and can understand things. Yeah. I think it's I think it's kind of a bit of a travesty that he didn't get at least an Oscar nomination yeah. for this role. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I wish he would have because he did a great job. I, I'm going to go so far as to say he's the best performance in this film. I would say, yeah. I would agree with that. I would say behind him would be Joan Hall because he also does a fantastic job too. Yeah, we'll talk about his performance. All right. Um, I th- I think Paul Dano did really well. Also, who's who? Paul Dano, the uh, Alex Jones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, the potential yeah, that's kidnapper. Right. That's right. I forgot about him. He yeah. also does a great job I, too. I really felt he did great. Really, all the performances are just. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're all top-notch. Everybody really gets into this, which makes it feel even more real, which makes it even more Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when we get talking about Alex's character and how mysterious he is. That, uh. Okay. Now, there's something really interesting. I, I watched this with subtitles. I had to turn it on at this point because I was like, okay, I don't want to miss anything. He said something, and I don't want to miss it. Mm-hmm. When they... When Do- Dover's son takes him to where the RV was, he says it was parked right outside this house. And Jackman goes up to the house. And he's like, hello, hello. And I no- did you notice he said, I told you not to come here? Yeah, that's right. Okay, because we learn later on, I'm jumping ahead just slightly. We learn later on that a child was abducted from the front yard of that house. Exactly. So it's probably one of those things where it, it's kind of like like in Halloween, the Myers house. You stay away from yeah. the cursed Myers house whatever so I think that house kind of probably has a bad rap we saw it was abandoned clearly like Michael Myers house is abandoned exactly so I think that's what that line meant but at first it confused me but I think that's that's interesting where yeah he's probably like don't go down that street a child was kidnapped down there mm-hmm. uh, you know 20 years ago whatever right right and one other so. interesting thing about the scene is that at this point it's raining right 
it's like a downpour. Mm -hmm. And when they go out to mm -hmm. check out where that RV was, and one thing I thought was interesting is that they, the son has his hat on, but Dover has his off, right? And they're both just being drenched in this rain. And I noticed, I was like, that's yeah. interesting because um, the dad is just so frantic. He didn't have try to put his hood back on. He just ran out, you know? Yeah. And so I also think it's kind of some symbolism too, but it's just really interesting how that he's walking out without his hat on. Well, did you also notice that when he was when he was going back to his house, he was running, but then when he kind of got closer to his house, he stopped and he just was going at a brisk pace. Yeah. Like I don't want my I don't want my neighbors to see just in case because they can clearly help me hear me yelling my daughter's name. Right. Right. He kind of like has this personal reputation to uphold. Mm -hmm. So it's just those little nuances of Jackman's performance exactly. where you just see him like stop running and just like start walking with his hands in his pocket. He looks firm. He's like purposely walking. It's just those little nuances yeah. that really they, that really it's sells like it. something the character would do. It really does. Sell. Yeah, just just so impressed. Mm. And I have here in my notes gorgeous shot of slow zoom in Loki. Yes. Okay. I don't remember this, but I liked it. Yes. So. <laughs> it's okay. It's the shot when we were first introduced to Loki in the Chinese restaurant. It starts off oh. behind him and it's slowly moving in toward him oh from his gosh. back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I yeah. Look at the use of the colors. There's yellow, blacks, and reds, mm -hmm. and they blend together so nicely. That shot is just so gorgeous mm. because the use of colors is just so nice. And this film. Roger Deakins has mastered the slow zoom. Absolutely. On this film, which is just such it's such a dichotomy though because everything is a slow zoom but you like everybody's so frantic trying to get thing done so quickly, trying to figure it out so fast exactly. but the, everything is like so slow. You will rarely find a shot that is a quick shot, only towards the end. Right. And that's and there's a reason why that's used in the end too, so. Yes. So I I really love that shot. Yes, thank you for reminding yes. me. I, it's a beautiful beautiful shot. Right. Yes, and his hair, by the way, is great. I got my hair cut that way. Hey, I do remember that, that. After the movie. Oh, my gosh. Just a really great haircut. And you notice everybody followed suit after that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then, then he gets a call about you know the kidnapping. He's like, yeah, yes. I'll be there in five minutes. I'm right near that. So they go, no, they check it out because the RV, right? Yeah, that was creepy. It, it, the RV is kind of parked facing the woods yeah. out in an empty roadside gas station and the driver looks stoned yeah just like flopped back in his chair it's downpouring yeah and one thing i really like about his the introduction of alex when you finally see his face it's from behind him and you just see like the brim of his glasses and like half yes. behind his face and you instantly know he is the one in the rv he is a pervert yes yes <laughs> that's what i love about, okay that's what i love about roger deacons he does such a great job of giving you the the minimal amount of uh of exposition in a shot before you know, that's what that is. That's what that means, you know. He doesn't show his hand too soon. No. He builds up the shots, mm -hmm. really creating suspense and intrigue. It's it's wonderful. Very well done. It's it's raining. It's raining heavily. And honestly, there's a video game for the PS3. It's called Heavy Rain. Mm -hmm. It is, in a word, incredible. <laughs> it's just It's like a masterpiece of a video game. And so, honestly, if I really hope that gets made into a film... Let's get Denise Villeneuve. Let's get Roger Deakins. Yes. It just reminded me of it because this is raining and this is a really dark, grim film. Mm -hmm. And so is heavy rain. So just thought I'd throw that out there. Right. And also notice how now it's nighttime and it's really dark. And yes. so we know at this point in the film that things are getting really serious because now it's nighttime and they're walking towards the same RV that they as suspected took the girls. 
the the music in this shot is so ominous. Yes, this is when I started pointing out the music. I was like, "Ugh, this yeah. music, the violin, that yes. yeah, this started to really freak me out." And he goes, n- he goes nuts in that RV. He yeah. backs up like a maniac, nearly backs into him. They draw their guns. He drives right into a tree. Yeah, into the into the thick woods. Yeah, it, and I have my notes. Poor guy got scared, you know, because <laughs> the cops just come out of nowhere and it's like, "Hey, get out of the vehicle." He goes, "Huh?" And it just drives right into the woods. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. But honestly, this is a great scene. This is a great scene. How how it's shot, how you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this film is just great at building suspense. Oh, it it's, does it so well. Yes. And I, and I love how we finally get the reveal of Alex's face after he Ooh. says, "Get hey, uh, let me see both your hands, both your hands, you know. And he's like, yeah. in that little cabinet thing, he like shows both of his hands, you know. Yes. And then, they, then he just pulls them out and throws them out of the vehicle, you know, in, right in front of the headlights. And you yeah. finally get to see his face. You're like, uh, that's who that is? You know, and it's really scary because the guy looks freaking weird. Yeah, he looks like a pedophile. Yeah, he does. And it's and that's what makes it even more scarier because even though there's the possibility that he didn't take the girls, the guy looks like he could, you know. Oh, yeah, with a creepy RV like that. Mm-hmm. Clearly yeah. trying to escape, but he drives right into the dang woods, which are thick as can be. Yeah. And he just completely looks out of it. And one of the cops says that he's high. Yeah, yeah, he does. And Loki, you, this is when we realize that Loki, he is one tough detective. Yeah, one tough, very good detective. One tough, very, very good detective. And he doesn't take crap from anyone. I mean, he just like grabs Alex. Yeah. And he's like, show me where you hid the girls because he thinks he went and like hid them in the woods. Right. Which is just a creepy thought to me that he went out yeah. and hid them in the woods or something. He's like, show me where you hid them right now. And and then you, Alex, he's just completely out of it. Yeah. The guy is, there's something up with him, you know. We find out later that his IQ is an IQ of like a 10-year-old. Yeah. So we know something something's up with him, you know. Right. And he, Alex also, he either lies or he just doesn't remember or something because he mm-hmm. says they weren't playing on the RV. Right. He's like, those right. girls weren't playing on the RV. And Alex is like, no, no, they weren't. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I also, I also noticed Loki's tattoos. He has really interesting tattoos. He does. Yeah. He has a cross on his hand. Mm-hmm. He has like a really weird star thing on his neck. Right. He's got something right on his, uh, kind of on his tricep, but I couldn't read it mm-hmm. or I didn't really take the time to read it. And he's got other stuff. So I don't. I don't know. Those are really interesting choices. I don't know what those what those mean, honestly. I would like yeah, to find yeah. out. But sadly, the Blu-ray doesn't come with a director's commentary. Yeah, that's kind of lame. I, I can understand because um, Denise Villeneuve is very much like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. He's not going to explain his film to you. David Lynch is not going to explain Eraserhead to you or whatever else. It's, right. You need to figure this out. There is no guide to it. Yeah. You have to figure it out. And that really helps with this film, especially this film and a couple of those that the guy's done, is that it's more or less, especially when like you get to like, like maybe a film called like the film Birdman, when mm-hmm. you watch that film, you could take it, you could, get, you could watch it with your friend and you both could take it two different ways. Oh, yeah. And I, that's, and this film, although you may not be able to take it two different ways, there you can definitely help build like the story for yourself. Like, oh, that's yes. why he has those tattoos and stuff, you know? Yeah, you can make your own inferences, your own interpretations. Right. And both could be right. Right. And it's kind of unusual how 
when Loki is interviewing Alex, it's intercut with the silent examination of the RV. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's because, I mean, again, it's really great symbolism Mm -hmm. because Alex is quiet and the shots of examining the RV are quiet. Loki right. gets nothing out of Alex. They get nothing out of the RV. Exactly. It, it, this is a really good example of splicing two shots together. Yes. And really showing the connection between Alex and the RV and how it is actually deeply connected with Alex's past that we reveal mm-hmm. later on. I mean, so, yeah, we, yeah, but so, yeah, we find out later on that he, about the RV too, but he's had it for like ever and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and I really like, there's a great shot here of, uh, Loki squatting, talking to the guy, like the head examiner guy mm-hmm. next to the RV, and they're all in this one shot. And Loki's on the very left side, RV's on the very right side. The beautiful framing. Just wanted really to point that is. out. <laughs> one of my favorites of the one of my favorites of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Loki next goes to Alex's aunt's house, right. and I find it interesting how one of the first things he does when he gets there is he inspects the that broken down car. Right. That is pivotal to the film later exactly and the first thing she says when she comes out the door is that used to be my husband's yeah you know? oh yeah she's like that used to be my husband's it's for sale really throwing him off as mm-hmm. to anything suspicious about it but that right. just tells me that uh, that's like the first thing loki like notices when he gets there and you see him right, expecting right. it and then towards the end of it it's kind of it's kind of like the last thing he suspects, but it, it's the thing that it was, you know? Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that point. But, yeah, that's good that you brought we brought that up, too. And we learned that the husband of the aunt, I don't remember her name off the top of my head. Neither do I. Supposedly her and her husband got in a fight five years ago and he never came back. Right. Okay. You find out later what happened to him. So, yes, you're right. And honestly, at first when I watched the film, I wasn't sure if I believed her. Yeah, same. But then I'm, I'm pretty sure she's telling the truth. When I was watching it this time, I noticed there's a few times where she's telling the truth that I wouldn't have ever believed her when I first yeah, watched it. it is surprising. And we learn Alex's past, which is which was her husband's brother and his girlfriend. Mm. They died in a car accident when he was six. That's the right. story of Alex's parents. And he also has a toy RV, and he has children's toys in his drawer. They're really pounding in that symbolism of IQ of a 10-year-old. But but we're wondering right now as the audience, maybe he has a childlike mentality or he's a pedophile. Right, right. The film's definitely leading towards that maybe he's just crazy and he's a pedophile, you know. Yeah, and I'm not saying don't, listeners, don't hear me saying that if you have a toy car... On your desk, you're a pedophile, okay? No, that's That's... not what we're trying to say. (laughs) Given the details surrounding Alex's character, it's purposely meant to raise suspicions. Yes. So, and then after this scene, we talk to the Dovers, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because they're the first family we ever talked to about the kidnappings outside of the the suspects. I just can't say enough how impressed I am Mm. with their performances because, honestly, they don't seem like overly concerned in their faces. Yeah. Like they're trying to maintain a level of calm and not be hysterical. Exactly. But but they really do portray that they are just distraught on the inside. Right. They're like, they're trying not to break, you know, and they know that the officers probably dealt with this many times before. So they're trying to do their best, but they just can't help it sometimes. 
Especially Mr. Dover later on in the scene, too. Well, the wife, she kind of starts to get hysterical, and Loki doesn't answer her question right, about having right. kids. And then Dover comes in, and that kind of, like, breaks it up for him. Right. And hey, do you notice that Loki does this, like, blinking thing with his eyes? Yeah, I started noticing that. Like, I noticed that the second time I started watching it, where when he blinks, he's like he, like, really, show, like, shuts his eyes. He does, and it, it, it makes me think he's just sleep-deprived. Right. Like, he's constantly working, he's a workaholic, or he's always on the case, he's always on call, and he's just really sleep-deprived, I think. Right, right. So, I, that, that is a, I will attribute, that's a great job, Jake Gyllenhaal, for that nuance of your performance. It's very small detail, too. And, honestly, in this scene, Viola Davis looks catatonic. Yeah. She just looks, <laughs> like, blank, she, and she's, she's just checked out. Looks like she's been awake for a few days. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, uh, Keller Dover, he also looks like he's completely out of it. Oh, yeah, no, his eyes are red. He, you know, his bags yeah. are his eyes. Oh, he, yeah. He's distraught. He's like, he's going crazy because he wants to know what happened to his daughter, and nobody knows anything. This is one scene where he, I really am just so impressed mm-hmm. with Hugh Jackman's performance because he's, he just does an incredible job of writing that line between staying calm, trying to be polite, yeah, wanting answers, being angry, being frustrated. How how do you balance that? Your right. little girl has been is gone. She's been missing for twenty four hours or close to it. So and it, and it doesn't. It's frustrating when he hears that Alex has the IQ of a ten year old, and there's no way he could abduct two girls and cover his tracks like that. Right. And one line I really, really like is when Loki was like, "We can't get the answers. We doesn't understand the questions." Yes, that was really interesting. Right, and so this, and there's this, this entire scene is just so great because you know both mom, mom and dad are trying so their hardest to keep their cool, but they sometimes can't help it because this they they were planned for this, you know. So how are they supposed to react? Oh yeah, absolutely, and and they're really doing a perfect job playing these upset, distraught parents. They're like, I don't understand. Any parent wouldn't understand. Look at the tears in his eyes; they look haggard. And what Loki says would naturally be frustrating to any parent. Right, right. Where you're just like, are you serious? This guy who looks like a pedophile, my daughter was playing in his old creepy truck. And Mm -hmm. you're saying that, no, that's impossible. Yeah, it's Uh, – even for for the audience, it's kind of of jarring because it's like, but but that doesn't make any sense, you know, because now we're confused that, well, he he definitely was the one that was there. He should have been the one that – Right. Uh, to connect him right you know well it raises the question if alex is a sociopath right like hannibal lecter who could fib the detector test the lie detector test exactly and alex is just like just this incredible sociopath he could fake them that he's a 10 year old and he could cheat the lie detector test so that also calls into question that if i was a parent i'd be like you know he's lying he's just great at it exactly and the next part kind of makes my skin crawl because Loki says, I'm going to go. There's nine sex offenders that live in a three-mile radius of their house. Yeah. And the, one of them is a priest. So. <laughs> is, is that is that right? I was so confused. Yes, he is. He's a priest. He calls him father when he tries to go in. Well, no, I knew he was a priest, but I just I, – I'll, we'll get to that here in a second. But yeah. I – Okay, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Right. But these okay, he says they're level three sex offenders, and I looked this up, and level three is the worst. Ooh. And I was reading about it and I'm like, huh, okay, <laughs> this is making my skin crawl. I mean, level three okay, there's nine level three sex offenders in a three mile radius. 
of their house. That would make my skin crawl if I found out my daughters went missing. <laughs> that would make me move. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is important, parents. When you and young adults who are looking for a home, you want to check to see because sex offenders have to register. Yeah, they do. It's the it's like a legal thing. Level one, level two, level three, they all have to register if they're a sex offender. So you want to make sure this is just a public service announcement. Make sure you are not living anywhere near sex offenders. Right. Yeah. So uh, that that's that's so creepy. Mm-hmm. And we we see the first house he goes into, which has like boxes of toys stacked to the ceiling and like yeah. a little trike. And I'm like, oh, this is so weird. This makes yeah. me feel so weird. And he's just really pursuing some twisted people. Absolutely. And they're all, they all seem to be repeat offenders, which is highly typical of a level three mm-hmm. sex offender because that one guy, who's, he's like searching through his office. He finds some weird pornography in there. Yep. And he's like, I'm staying clean. I'm staying clean while well, he's lying. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to a, like a diner. Right. And right. he's talking to a guy, but it's like all blurred out because of the rain. Cool shot. Right. And then he goes to the but this is what confused me. He goes to the the church. Yeah. And I'm like, wait. Oh, I wasn't sure if if he was like if the guy in the oh what was it? In the restaurant, you know, where we saw the blurry shot of him talking to him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if he led him to the priest. Because I don't I don't think there's any way that a priest could stay a priest if he's a sex offender. Right. Right. That's why that's why that's why I really feel like they didn't connect those dots very well for me. Like right. As an audience member, I needed that connected. Right. That I remember that remember he was talking about the nine sex offenders. I'm guessing the one in the restaurant is just another one. And then the father priest guy is just a different one as well. Not that he led him to the father. Yeah. I just don't. But yeah, I agree. That part is kind of. Well, we know he's an alcoholic. Say. Oh, yeah. No, he walks up and that's how he gets in the house is that he finds out father's pass on the floor. And he walks in and finds out all these uh, bunch of liquor over the place. Yeah, when I first saw this movie, I thought the priest was dead. I did too. And I'm pretty sure it's what the movie wants us to believe until you, Loki walks in and hears him snowing on the ground. But Right, and you see he's passed out drunk. And yep. I, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm still confused why... I just don't see how he could be a registered level 3 sex offender. Right. For all we know, he could, just be an ex, he could just be an ex-priest too. But yeah, the movie never, never explains that. Hmm. Okay, there's a creepy door behind the fridge. Yeah, it, it leads to the under part of the house, but my question is, what led Why? him to push back the fridge, you know? Well, he saw there's an outline of the fridge, like the that's fridge right. was moved. forgot about that. Yeah, that's, uh, it's weird that, uh, I guess I can see why, because it's basically his, uh, his, like, basement, essentially. Okay, yeah, there are no stairs, and I love the creepiness of that, mm-hmm. how you're just like, oh my gosh, there are no stairs to this it's just kind of the under part of the house, really. But it yeah. is still a basement in a way. It's like a kind of a storage room. It's completely unfinished. There's like dirt under there. It reminds me of um, kind of the crawl space in my grandparents' home where you can go into their basement and there are just like holes in the wall. I mean, it's all cement, right. but there's holes in the wall and you can like just see into the dark and there's just like the earth there. Yeah, yeah. And they have like curtains covering it. It's kind of creepy. So it made me think of this. It, it was really creepy and he jumps down in there. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I was like, man, that uh, that's a little risky because you could get locked in there. Yeah. Or it'd be kind of hard to get back up. I don't know. But right. it's a really it's a really large area and it's very creepy down there. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I always thought it was funny how when he gets down there, he's looking around and stuff, and he points his flashlight at like the Mother Mary statue mm-hmm. thing. He's like, oh, frick, you know, and he like, steps back. Yeah, he says funny. the F word when he sees that. Very irreverent mm-hmm. of him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, and this just freaked me out when they find this body that's yeah. not really decomposed all that much yet. Right, and it's still strapped to a chair, and it has that pendant, and it's like, Ugh. It has the tape over his mouth? Yeah. Yeah, he has t- he's like locked down to the chair, he's fell over, he's got tape on his mouth. And he was he was far back in there, too. He wasn't like sitting like where the doors are. No, he was way back in, right back in there. So I'm pretty sure the priest did this. Yeah, and yeah, he did. They talked about it a little bit later, but my question is, do you just like leave him down there? Pretty sure he left him down there to die. I know that they talked about it later on in the film, what the guy was doing there and stuff, but they never explained why he just like kind of sat in the basement. The priest is an alcoholic, potentially right. a sex offender, and he he essentially murdered this guy. Yeah, right. He did. I mean, it's essentially murder when you just lock someone up down there. It's it's probably going to be classified as murder when they find him in your basement. <laughs> yeah. That that was just crazy. That was shocking. Mm-hmm. But it, it shocked me, but it didn't shock Loki. Loki yeah. kind of has this expression like, yeah, I figured as much or something like that. Right. So that that seemed that seemed a little surprising to me. I don't know if he's just seen so much twisted stuff and Yeah, that's my guess. We know he's kind of uh like anti Catholic because he said, I spent six years in Huntington Boys Home, you know what that is, don't you, father? Yep. It's probably like a Catholic orphanage and they probably, I guess, from Loki's thing, he probably felt they, they he was treated badly, and you could tell like he wants to hurt the priest. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's pretty uh pretty harsh with him too. He does. He kind of scares him. He almost is like, "I'm going to dump you head first and he'll yeah. lock you down." Yeah, if you don't tell me what <laughs> the body's doing down there. Right. So, and but but the priest says the guy in the basement killed sixteen children. Right. Which is just super scary and super dark. Yeah. Pretty pretty intense. So, but, oh, just a quick tidbit. If you want a movie about a murder and it's confessed to a priest, but the priest can't do anything because priests are bound by an oath where they can't tell anyone, go watch Alfred Hitchcock's I Confess. Ooh. It begins with a priest at church at night, a man. You can see, like, it's just great also. You see him running into the church and he's like, father i've i've committed murder and the priest can't tell because he's like bound to that secrecy yeah yeah this kind of made me think about that whereas instead this priest is like okay so this guy doesn't kill again because he like says later on that he bragged about killing all these kids Mm -hmm. and so he probably didn't want him to do it again he said he was going to go do it again so that's why the priest probably locked him up down there right and should we just are we walking through this, or should we just go ahead and and just reveal who this guy is? Uh, I mean, at this point, if you haven't seen the movie, then there's nothing much I can do for you now. <laughs> I think we should just go for it, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we find out that this is the husband of Alex's aunt. Right. And this is where he went five years ago. He went to confess to a priest, although the confession didn't sound completely genuine because he was bragging mm-hmm. about it. And that's why he never came home because he got locked up and was and died in, right. the, in the catacombs of the church. Exactly. Which you don't, you don't find out till like the very end of the film. 
Right. When uh, we'll get there, but yeah, when Loki has a big of a tantrum and stuff. But yeah, it's a pretty big reveal too because we never know who this guy is until the very end of the film. We're like, so it is connected, and then we find out we're like, you know, this is where he went to after he ran off. Well, okay. Here's another. Here's another point where I'm really impressed with Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is when they're letting Alex go because it's been 48 hours. They can't hold him any longer. Right. And I love how Loki is behind the glass, you know, and he's studying him. He gives him this little smile and he, he just kind of like really studying him. He looks at him and I, I just feel like Loki is wondering, is he faking? Is this an act? What is this all about? You know? Yeah. And he's like, this guy's pretty good at it. Yeah. And I think he's suspicious, you know, mm-hmm. and even said Mr. Dover went up to him and said, hey, Keep him for another day, you know, because he's got to be the one, you know. Right. And then, you know, they can't because of legal stuff. And uh, the chief, I will talk about him in a minute because I have some beef with the chief. But Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they let him go. And and honestly, when Dover tackles Alex, I would have done the same thing, honestly. Oh, yeah. Especially after you find out, hey, can you hold this guy for another day? It's got to be him. And then they release him the next, you know, they release him that afternoon or whatever. Yeah. And so he just runs over there and he's like, no, you're not doing this. Because he, because Mr. Over feels that this is, this is the guy. Absolutely. And then especially it's so chilling when Alex says they didn't cry until I left them. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not listening to it, you miss it too. You do. You do. It's, and that's, and as an audience member in the theater, I was like, okay, did I hear that right? Wait, maybe I didn't hear that. Did he actually say that? Yeah. Because then everybody else questions him too. They're like, all oh, right, are you sure you really heard that? And yeah, and Mr. Dover's like the only one, you know, mm-hmm. that that knows that he said that. Everyone's like, but are you sure he said that? Yeah. You know, and it's really chilling. That line, I have my notes, that's chill- good delivery, very chilling. Yes. Ooh. So, but this is, but but the next scene is when Jill, Hall's performance is kind of slightly hit and miss for me so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he has like really great points of performance. Uh, when he's really into his character, but then he he also seems really wooden sometimes. Yeah, and not to the point, not wooden like that's just his character, but his line delivery sometimes when he's like, "Okay, Mister Dover, I'm gonna have to ask you to calm down. I understand that, but I, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. Please calm mm-hmm. down. Just once in a while, like that, it, it just doesn't feel too authentic to me. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I buy it because. This isn't the first time he's dealt with the kidnapping, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he's dealt with this thing plenty of times. So him just saying, ah, again, I have to do with this, you know. Mr. Dover, just settle down and be okay, you know. Yeah. So I, I can see why he's a bit more wood in this area. Yeah. Trying to also remain calm but not, like, sympathetic to the point where it feels like he's, like, you know, mushy and stuff. Right. Right. And I also... This film also uses um, kind of centered, slow zoom shots. Yes. Which you normally don't see centered shots very often in films. Yeah, they're usually off to one side because, you know, we will thirds and stuff. Right. There, I know um, in The Greatest Story Ever Told, Jesus was always centered in those shots, which was very well done. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure in the film Nicholas and Alexandria, when they would show Rasputin on screen, he had centered shots. Now, those mm-hmm. were just so unnerving. Yeah. Uh, these these centered shots are really well done also. Yeah. Um, and I would also like to point out Grand Budapest Hotel uses not not just centered, centered shots, but very even a very even frame. So I just wanted to point that out because we do get a lot of those 
in yes. this film, which is not very common, but it's very well used. So, and at this point, I'm just like, this is a really impossible situation. Yeah, it like, is. Like, uh, I can't even imagine what I would do. Like, his Dover's wife is distraught. How do you console the wife? How do you help the son? I I don't know. It's a very real portrayal of a mm-hmm. just a very scary situation. Yes, and the scene, the one scene when he is talking to his wife. And he's like, hey, just take the pills, you know, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. She goes, no, I don't want to go to sleep, you know, I just want, and stuff. And then she takes a pill and like, rolls over on her side. And it's just like her in the center and then Dover behind her, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like talking to him. And she says, the line that I, the, the line that destroys me every time I watch this movie mm-hmm. is, you made me feel so safe. You told me you protect us from anything. Uh, that's, it feels so real because it's true. But at the same time, it's just, it's so in your face that it hurts, like in a good way. Absolutely. I, I wrote down that line also. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of those scenes where it really just hits you, just the gravity mm-hmm. of the situation, how serious it is and how uh, how hard it is, how impossible it is. And the Absolutely. wife is going into a depression. She now has doctor prescribed medication she's taking. She's sleeping a lot. Just she's showing signs of depression. The sun. Yeah. Has to, you know, the dad's kind of like, I need you to grow up. I need you to be a man. We're going to be strong. Like my dad taught me to be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just need to do that. And, and oh, he's definitely trying to like help his, tell his son, like, this is how you have to take this. You know, you had to be strong. Like you can tell he's trying very hard to keep his cool in front of his son. Absolutely. And later in the film, he, he loses it in front of his yeah. son, which is not good. Yeah. But uh, right before that, we forgot to mention that the captain said Dover's dad was a guard at Greater F- Greater Ford. That's and so that's why uh, they weren't going to arrest him. They're just going to forget about it. But that right, bringing right. up his dad because his dad has been brought up a couple times. Like earlier, they said, "Why don't you just renovate Grandpa's old apartment building?" Right. And he's like, "Well, right. that'd be too much," and that's kind of foreshadowing for later on. Yep. But we will come back to the dad, and it is very surprising what we learn. And I noticed when he walks out of the house after this scene, I put it on my notes, a significant color change. Mm. Because he walks from out from the inside of the house, which is already pretty dark, there are no lights on at all. It's like all from outside. So it makes the shot very grayish. Right. Walks outside um, of his house and there's a big color drain. Like there's mm. a lot, it's a lot very under, undersaturated and stuff. Mm. That's a good point. And it definitely like helps bring out the character of Dover too, because He's trying to keep his cool in this situation, but he's not handling it very well for obvious reasons. And so when he walks out of the house after just coming from his wife telling him, I thought you would protect us from anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of jarring for a man to hear. Well, it is. And that's why he kind of just is like, all right, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. The police yeah. aren't getting it done. I'm going to get it done. Right. And what he goes to do next is just chilling. But yes. on his way there, I want to point out he's listening to a priest on the radio. Right. And the priest is talking about something like man is born into sin, so man is born into trouble. And honestly, I feel like Dover probably grew up in a household that was more like kind of like a Calvinist sort of household where it's mm-hmm. more like hellfire and brimstone. Like you need to be tough. You know, God isn't necessarily loving. God's going to punish you. And right. We need to be tough. And even though I do see he feels, and maybe this is kind of like more of like a, kind of like a transformation for his character from going from kind of this like 
harsh view of God, possibly, yeah. to more of like just relying on him to help him out. Because right. later on, you just see him like on his knees praying like, Father, I don't know what to do. I just rely on your grace and mercy right, and stuff like that. Whereas I, I just honestly feel like from everything you talked about, it just is more like more of like a like by the book kind of Christian, like fundamentalist. Right. This is it. This is that. But I feel like that kind of breaks down and he kind of relies more on faith than on, you know, you're sinful. God's punishing you because of your sins. Exactly. You know, your father, because of your father's sins, then it's, I'm going to carry it to the next and the next generation, which what it says in scripture in the old Testament, which I think he has more of that kind of old Testament view of mm-hmm. uh, just God. Right. And one thing I also like to point out too, is the timing that this comes on too. Like he just came from, like we said before, this like this big confrontation with his son and wife, walked out to his car and put take matters into his own hands. And there's like this, and then, you know, there's this spoken word starts, you know, on his radio and stuff mm-hmm. right before he leaves to take matters into his own hands. He just pauses for a moment. He just listens and then turns on his truck and drives off, you know? Yeah. And we're only 40 minutes into this movie. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff here. There is a lot to cover. And this is exactly why we wanted to pair this with Mm -hmm. the silence of the lambs, because I feel that this is just a great spiritual successor to that film. Yeah. If you listen to our Hannibal podcast, which won't take you very long, uh, (laughs) we were very disappointed with Hannibal. It was an incredible slap into the face to audiences uh, coming off of the silence of the lambs i mean hannibal was just really an unworthy sequel whereas i feel prisoners captures the symbolism the direction um the same character depth uh just a lot of that great nuances that made silence of the lambs we both feel that prisoners does that so in a way prisoners is just the perfect spiritual successor to the silence of the lambs and this is exactly yes. why we're doing it for a part of the retrospec- retrospective series we like to pair a, a film put out a bonus podcast pair a film with it that we really feel ties into it and this film more so than others i mean that's why i feel like it really it's it's just silence of the lambs and prisoners like those are mm-hmm. just like incredible lector-esque films yeah I so, agree, totally agree with you. Yeah, and uh, they're they are somewhat similar because um, the daughter is kidnapped in Silence of the Lambs, and they're trying to find her. And in this, the two daughters are kidnapped also. Mm-hmm. So, and they they do drop. They're both in a pit in right turn sequences. So I, I'm just really mesmerized by this film. Yeah, I, this film has locked me, and I am locked into this world. Mm-hmm. And the, and you you know a film is really really good when I forget that I'm supposed to be taking notes mm. for a film because I'm just so enthralled by what everything that's happening on the screen. I was like, oh crap, I need to take notes in this part. You know, <laughs> there were a couple of scenes where I'm just like, oh wait a minute, you know, and then I'm supposed to take start I'm taking notes again. Reviewing. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about this, and he, and I've seen this film three or four times. Yeah, you know, and so if that doesn't say anything, I don't know what does, yeah. but. So, the, like we said, that this is only about a third of the way through this film, anyways. But it's just so well done. Yeah, you're you're right. And that was me at the end, though. At the end, I just stopped taking notes. I'm like, I can't take notes. I need to just watch this. You know? Yeah. Just, yeah. Dover decides to take matters into his own hands, like we said, and he goes right. to Alex's house, and it's very disturbing what we see. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know how they filmed it. They, I didn't check to see at the end of the credits if they said no animals were harmed in the making of this. But he picks the dog up yeah, with the leash by the neck. I, I was just like, oh, my gosh. I was so mad. I, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and you know what? That would be proof enough to the father that he's sadistic. Uh, yeah. I, I, if he didn't believe it already, <laughs> which yeah. he does. But, yeah, I agree. And he's singing a children's song, the same lines over and over. Right. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Hugh Jackman puts him at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Only, I think the only problem I have with this scene is that the jingle that he sings, the girls sang earlier in the film, you know? I didn't I didn't even remember them singing that. Yeah, they they, they sing it right before they go to... S- okay, it's when the... Uh, the dad of the black of the black daughter's family, mm-hmm. they he says, "I'm taking requests," and they start singing Jingle Bells and like Jingle Bells, Batman smells, Robin the egg, whatever you know, yeah. and stuff. That's where they first sing it, and they run off and you know, they get the whistle or whatever. And so then that. he's singing it now. Sure. Um, and the only problem with this scene is that it's a pretty common jingle. This isn't something that oh, yeah. you know is not one thing for the film you know this is sure pretty common yeah it which, wasn't like a song they made up together right which actually i think would have been probably better if the girls would have like been like singing some little tune mm-hmm. that's not as common and made up and then he was singing it and then it would have made more sense like where did you hear that right okay we've right. heard it we doesn't mean we've kidnapped people right. <laughs> but i'd also like to make the argument against myself <laughs> oh <Okay. laughs> uh, this is yeah i'm making an argument against myself that Yes, it is a common tune, but at the same time, the guy, Dover, is always super suspicious of Alex as it is. So I think it's more for just like an audience sake yeah. than it is for the story. Because it definitely plays into his character, I'll give it that. But at the same time, it is very common. So that's what that's what I would say. It's it, I feel like you could take it either way. I 100% agree. Yeah. Um, but I think what we both can agree on, though, is even though the even though his lines are kind of like, eh, but his his performance is really well done. Mm-hmm. When like you can see his hand shaking when he's holding the gun. Yes. Like he, he's really nervous about it. And yeah, um, something also about this is it it kind of sh- shows that Alex has most likely had some kind of pain inflicted on him. Right. By someone higher than him, because oftentimes people who become serial killers will uh, torture animals, right, or inflict pain on on something below them, like that. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of signs pointing against Alex in this scene. Mm-hmm. And also notice that it also once again takes place at night. Yes. Interesting. Oh, I mean, yeah. They choose the time of day to be at nighttime instead of maybe during the day. The day when they is walk, essentially walk over. the dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you also notice. I, I I'm really glad you brought that point up because um, they talk about how they always take the children in daylight. Yeah, and right. Alex gets kidnapped at night, and like everything Hugh Jackman does is at night. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. There's that kind of there's a there's a really big kind of um, just like dichotomy in this film. Yeah between like this side and that side like the children are kidnapped at night he's kidnapping an adult or i'm I'm sorry the children are kidnapped in daylight he's kidnapping an adult at night right he does these scary things at night the bad guys the bad guys operate in the day the quote-unquote good guys operate at night 
Right. It's, it's just, just very a weird, interesting contrast. It is an interesting, weird kind of uh, shift. Yeah. Like from the norm, what you would expect. Right. And that definitely plays with this character because he's supposed to be a godly man, right? Yeah, everything he does, not only at night, but it's also like it's also kind of sadistic when we get later on in the film because of his own character. Yeah, it it really is. He really struggles between like not going into evil because in the beginning he says deliver us from evil, and he's like give us the strength to forgive those who trespass against us. Yet he doesn't do that. Right, it, right. It, that's a struggle for him. That's a really great character struggle for him. Absolutely. And it it really is ominous when you're going through the abandoned apartment when he's taking uh, Franklin Birch with him, Terrence Howard's yes. character. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna find? You know, mm-hmm. it's just creepy. Yeah, and I love how this is the setting that he brings. Like, this is the place he brings him to. You know, yes, is an unfinished apartment building. Well, yeah, I mean, no, I think that was um, the apartment building that he lived in as a kid. Right, right. I'm and just saying that it's abandoned. unfinished. Oh, yeah, it's abandoned, but now it's like he's kind of working on it, but I not really. Yeah, I think it's just become decrepit. Right. And it needs complete renovation. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a really interesting spot. That well, it's a dark although spot. They, yeah, although they, brought, although they pointed to it earlier in the film, yeah. you know, this was what they chose to torture Alex in. Yeah, I mean, it's private and nobody's mm-hmm. gonna go poking around there and right it's also the spot where his dad committed suicide exactly so uh yeah lots of dark things happen there mm-hmm. and lots of memories and f- yeah yeah lots of bad memories occur there and honestly this is where uh terrence howard's performance really kind of shines where yeah. he, he's just a scared father he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know whether they should be vigilantes and torture someone or mm-hmm. just let the law take care of it or what you know so i am i'm really impressed by terrence howard's performance i like how every performance gets their moment to really kind of stand out and shine right yeah no i i totally agree with you this is this is one of his like defining moments terrence howard and he definitely is like on his like he's like no this isn't right we really should not be doing this at all you know but in the end, he ends up going with Dover anyways. Mm-hmm. And we'll see later on that even though uh, I would say that, you know, the Terrence Howard and his family, they are the, they're the I'd say, the purest of the bunch in this movie. But even they sure. have a downfall, too. They do. Because later on in the film, when we get to that, they, cho- they choose to leave Alex in yeah. the, uh, the box that, that Dover puts him in. Yeah, and, and we'll discuss it a little later, but that's kind right. of the point of the kidnappings is to make people lose their faith right. and turn against God. Mm-hmm. And we do see that happen with them. We, I I don't know if the Birches are Christians. Yeah. Clearly no. It doesn't ever say. Are. It doesn't ever say, but we, we, we at least see the spiritual struggle. Mm. With, but even if they aren't Christians, it's still an interesting dynamic that right. although they're not the Christians here, they're more apt to be like, I don't know about that. Whereas Dover's like, I want to do that, you know? Yeah. At least on, well, no, it's, it's both on Birch's part pretty much. Right. Right. Except to a point. So, and I, I, I agree with what Dover says when he tells Franklin, he stopped being a person when he took our daughters. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I think when you commit some kind of really horrible act like that, then you have forfeited your, human rights in a way yeah i mean at that point now you've committed a crime too so yeah i think that i mean that might sound terrible to say but Mm. 
I think when somebody does something really horrible and sadistic like that, they have waived their rights. They've given up their rights, you know. I just I wouldn't view them as a person any longer because a person is as a civilized, rational, intelligent human being that doesn't do evil acts. Right. That's like that's an animal. An animal does impulsive, crazy things and kills other animals. Not a human. But also that would mean that Dover is a really interesting line too because Dover has now kidnapped Alex. So that means he's also not a person as well because you know now he has alex and he says he's stopping a person when he kidnapped our daughters but now he's kidnapped alex yes i will disagree with you though because i feel like okay there's a difference between like kidnapping like small innocent girls Mm -hmm. and then a supposed like crazy pedophile man and dover does believe he's doing it for a righteous cause to Mm -hmm. save those endangered whereas supposedly alex is just evil right but at the same time alex is also remember they said mind of a 10 year old and now rover has the mindset of i really want to hurt this guy just to get information out of him you know sure and we do learn that it's it's actually really tragic yeah because man gosh alex is one of the most cheated persons ever in the whole world like Mm -hmm. gosh one of the most saddest people in the world but i guess we can discuss that later so. Yeah, we'll get we'll get there. That's still leaving the film. All the great stuff happens later. I know, uh. it really does. But uh, here's a question I want to ask you. Does Alex yeah. have the capacity to help them? Mm, I don't know if I want to discuss that yet, because that's definitely something we find out later. Sure, but... Like you were saying, at this point in the film? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I, if we want to discuss it later, we can. But just ju- okay, just from what you know right now, do you think he could help them from, okay from what i know right now i feel like yes i feel like he has the choice to help them but yeah. he's choosing not to at this point too we don't even we don't exact we don't fully know if he actually took the kids or not we're just going on a suspicion that he maybe he did and that's the really hard thing because you're pretty sure he did but then there's also this like what if it's not him at all right what if it's not him at all you know and it, it is hard because he's like, they they only cried when they left me. Mm-hmm. And he seems to have these moments of like, just like these lucid moments where he knows what he's talking about. But then he also, I don't know. I I, I mean, we'll get into it later, but I, th- yeah. I mean, I think he's been kind of like conditioned to, uh, he's brainwashed, honestly. Right, right. Yeah. Let's say we should save this question also to later because we, sure. when we reveal more information, we'll have a better a better answer than what we have right now. Sure. But we do find out that the man in the basement has no DNA, no dental, nothing. He's unidentifiable, which is right. kind of weird. I don't know if that's because of decomposition or if he burned his fingertips off or knocked his teeth out. I don't know. I'm guessing that he has probably have any records on him. Yeah, because they're committed a crime. They haven't caught him for the crimes he's committed yet, so they don't have anything on like his the guy yet. Even though they said uh, he's you know kidnapped and killed sixteen children, I would say the movies don't have any data on him because they never caught him. Yeah, but I mean, no dental records though. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking too. It's like dental records still at that point. I feel like they'd have something. I maybe he's toothless. I don't know. That was just that's kind of crazy that he's yeah a ghost yeah. essentially. Oh, the, what is it? What's the book called later on? The Invisible Man? Yes. Something like that? So that's who he is. Right, right. 
But uh, okay, I think it's in this scene we get we find out Alex's true backstory, right? Yes. Well, we get a piece of information that isn't tied until later who Alex really is. But it is in this scene where they go to visit the girl, and she's the watching the tape. You that mean one the woman. Mom? Yeah, the mom. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and she's watching that. She watch, she's watching the tape. We find out information, but it doesn't die until later in the film. Uh, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but okay, I read it. I paused it, and I read the. No, okay, I read it because he he like looks him up on this news website, and so essentially what it is is a child named Barry, Barry Milland disappeared mm. from Fairmount Circle at age seven in 1987, which would have been 26 years ago. Which right. would make him today in 2013 33 years old. Right. He was taken from the front yard of the home, and then police in the news clipping. This is listeners. This is all from the news clipping that Loki looks at on his computer. Pause it. You can read it too. But here's a brief rundown in case you haven't paused it and you're wondering. The police warned that there could be a predator on the loose. They also say two other children had been abducted the previous year, which I don't I don't know. I have like a theory, but my theory kind of is contradicted later on. We'll get to it, though, who those children might be. Um, OK, the community pulled together for everyone. The FBI actually got involved because of that. Hmm. And they gave a statistic that nine times out of ten, the the kid is found because people are keeping their eyes open. And and I put in my notes, which is what Dover is trying to do. He's trying to kind of like really look out. Uh, right. And the police captain said a serial abductor is one of a thousand theories and was not likely because people asked, could this be a serial abductor? And he said, no, that's unlikely. Even though we later find out, yes, it is a serial abductor. Right, right. And this also takes place in the summertime. Right. Barry was kidnapped in the summertime, which is another um, like contrast because this takes place in the winter. Right, yeah. And they don't find any leads after three days. And a month and a half later in October, which is a month before the girls in this movie are abducted, uh, it is assumed – I can only assume – I don't get to read the police article, but I can see part of the title. It's assumed the police stayed there closing the case and he's never found. Right. But the mom says when she's watching the tape, which is really sad, she has been watching it every morning after breakfast for the past 26 years. I don't think a tape can last that long, but I'm just saying. Yeah, that VHS would be destroyed. It would have been yeah. eaten by the VCR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was in like pretty decent quality anyway. Like She didn't even need tracking or anything. Right, yeah. So no, barely any fuzz on it, but whatever, nitpicking. Um, yeah, beside we're, the point. <laughs> we're we're kind of tech nerds when it comes to this stuff, so yeah, <laughs> not plausible. But the but the mom does say same person who took him took those girls. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. And she believes they'll never they'll never. She's like we'll never know. No one. She's like no one took them. They're just gone. Which is that like invisible man theory, right? That they're just disappeared. Yeah, kind of a kind of a bleak scene. It's not giving you any hope for. For this movie. And I, I, I believe there is the potential that the girls will never be found. Yeah, the movie definitely rides that of, you know, there's a possibility these girls will never be found, right? And yeah. it's like, I don't want to think about that. So, yeah, they, they right now, as of right now in the film, 
it's kind of hopeless, honestly. It really and is. it gets and it continues this until until the very end, I would say, almost the very end. It just continues this line of this is a kind of a hopeless situation. You know, they're not giving any leads or make leaving that are leading really anywhere, nothing's really connecting, you know, no one's talking. So up until I'd say about I'd say when Loki loses it at his at his desk oh, and we'll yeah. get there, that's when things start to pull together and it's not as hopeless anymore. Sure. The priest returns and says the man in yes. the basement was waging a war against God. Right. Which really ties into Dover's faith. And they took them in the daylight, sometimes more than one child at a time. Mm. He had a family. Loki completely and Loki completely dismisses this information. Right, he does. <laughs> Which, I mean, I can understand because it's all really vague and nothing concrete. It's like, all right, that gives me nothing to really go off of. But right. I, I wish he didn't completely dismiss it because those are important elements to what we find out. Right. Later. I mean, he does he does bring it back later, but yeah. Sure. It's just an odd scene where he's just yeah. like, that's it. Thanks for wasting my time. Yeah. And... It's kind of sad though, because when they leave the father, he's just like sat. He's just sitting there in that white room and just like, oh. You see, it's like this moment where he's just like, I tried to redeem myself and nobody yeah. cared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor old drunk priest. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, but now we're getting back into the torture of Alex, and his face is getting really bloody. Yeah. And I think that would be really hard to beat somebody like that for so long. Or just mm -hmm. even in general. I mean, and they're definitely like they're breathing hard too. They they've been at it for a while, so yeah, it's definitely getting down them too. And I mentioned this earlier, but I feel like he's doing this to make up for the lack of protecting his family. Yeah, he definitely is. After getting what he got from his wife, uh, he's kind of like no more stops anymore. You know, it's my time to protect my family. Well, and do you also feel like his father would have been hard on him? since he essentially failed his family or like in his yeah mind. yeah i, I would mean, say yeah his dad was a prison guard for something like 14 years right and i don't know i don't know if i've really got that his story nailed down per se but mm. yeah i can definitely just see because of the performance hugh jackman brings like it's amazing because like he kind of like tells his backstory in his performance like yeah. he was raised yeah. this way like I don't know. It's just one of those really rare performances where you can just like make inferences about his upbringing and because of right. how he acts now, you're like, oh, well, he acts this way now. I bet, you know, his dad would have treated him that way or exactly, he would have felt exactly. that way. So, and I'm sure he doesn't really want to fail his dad because, I mean, the, like the, one of the first things is mentioned is, well, the first line of the movie is our father who are in right. heaven. Which, in a way, you could think of it as like Dover praying to his dad, who's who he probably mm -hmm. hopes is in heaven. So, right, yeah, no, I I would definitely agree with you on that. I feel like at this point in the movie, he's both failed his family and now has failed his father. So he's mm -hmm. trying to like redeem himself with that. Like, I'm not going to fail him now. I'm yeah. going to now bring matters in my own hands. Since not only is the police doing nothing, but I've done nothing as well. Right. And I, I like how Jackman keeps his character still human, though, and uh, yeah. Villeneuve, Denise Villeneuve keeps the character still grounded, not like he's some total maniac. Because yeah. when he brings up the hammer, I'm honestly white-knuckling my Yeah, seat. he brings up the hammer and grab and grabs Laox's hands to put, yeah. puts on the faucet. I was like, no. When, I, when, we, were, when we were first Ooh. watching this, yeah. I was like, no, please don't. Please don't do that, you yeah. know? Yeah, I was white-knuckling. And it just shows – yeah, it just shows – 
how inhumane he's willing to go, you know. Yeah. And he goes even farther than this later on, but it shows where he is willing to go, but he doesn't follow through with it. Right. Which shows that he's not completely just desensitized to torturing someone and violence and going yeah. that full way. And also, again, props to Terrence Howard, who he's just like crying in this whole scene. And you could tell he, he like he's just really struggling with what they're doing. He is. He's he's like he wants to help his family, but at the same time. He doesn't think this is right, you know. Yeah. And uh, this is also another kind of uh, contrast because in this next scene, uh, people are out in the cold showing their prayers and condolences. Yeah, yeah. And for Barry, people were out in the very hot – in like the really hot summer. And they made a point of that in the article. Like it was a really hot summer. People would have been inside with their AC. But Mm -hmm. people were like so – like worried and the community rallied around that people were passing out cold drinks and standing right. outside of the home, even though it was sweltering outside. So that's just another interesting kind of comparison between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I really like this scene because there's not a lot of hopeful scenes in this movie. No, but this there is isn't. one of those scenes where it, it just kind of gives you some hope that yeah. not that humanity isn't lost, that the community is coming together. You see a, uh, candles and you see like Jesus's face on those candles mm-hmm. and that there is still hope. If nobody came out, then it would feel like a really hopeless situation, but people it, are out yeah. there. So it feels more hopeful. Right. And one thing I really like is that this is when Terrence Howard gets back, you know, and yes. he kind of walks over to his family. And they're like, where have you been? Where have you been? You know, and he had like this panic attack at that time. Oh yeah, he does. He, he kind Which of is, just shuts down yeah. and he's, He's just like, I can't tell you. I, I don't know what to say, you know? Yeah. But, and this is also r- one of the weird scenes because yeah. this, this man is like fondling this little bear in a creepy way. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. do that. And I thought it was kind of funny how Loki's just like obviously watching the crowd. He's like sitting on the hood of his car like, and that guy is just, he, he's he's total freak. Total freak. Yeah. Yeah, my only question is why, what incentive does Loki have to go after him? Okay, what I'm assuming is he's thinking maybe the abductor could return to the scene. I think that's that's happened before. And, okay, the guy is fondling the bear like a creep. And then right. when he notices that Loki sees him, he gets really suspicious. Like, he, you can see he, like, visibly gets nervous. He looks mm-hmm. away. He starts backing away out of the crowd. And then when Loki stands up... You know, he, like, disappears away, and Loki sees him, and then the guy's running. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. he feels guilty of something, or he has something to hide. So, that's why Loki... Right. I mean, they're not taking any chances, because there's another line later on where they're like, you know the possibility that, like, finding them after a week is unlikely, and then, like, after a month or something, they're just... they're You're never going to find them again. So right, right. I think yeah. that's why he's, like, pursuing every lead, no matter how trivial it may seem. Okay, yeah, I, I can buy that. Because at first, when I first watched this film, and up until about now, and he explained to me, I was like, that's a weird scene, you know? Sure. But I get, I can't get it now. I think it's a pretty good chase scene, though. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good at being suspenseful, and I, I really love the settings in this movie. Oh, yes. I, I mean, agree. they're just so top-notch, and yeah. they just do great of taking, like, regular suburbia and making it like really kind of scary or yeah it's just like unknown you don't know mm. what's safe what's lurking around the corner and just again like you said this is a night shot 
Yeah. I love it. I love this. I love this night shot where he's running through the backyards and everything mm-hmm. just feels so real about it. And he's in people's backyards and he's looking up in tree houses. There's just something very nightmarish about this almost. Yeah, there is. I love how it's all this entire se- sequence is all in backyards up until the guy escapes him and the highway, you know. And he jumps on him from on top of him. Oh, yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. And I like how Loki's like, get off of me. What are you doing? Get yeah. Get off. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a great scene too. It is. And we, we now have two main suspects. Yes. But we don't have any connection between them either. So, I mean, we just have a lead but no connection. I know. And that's why I love it because it's so much like a maze. It is. Like, it is. You think this could be the right direction, but you don't know. This could just be yeah. throwing you off the complete time. This could be a wild goose chase. We have right. no idea who this new guy is, and we don't learn about him for quite a while. Exactly. Like, he disappears for a, quite a while. and then we, Yeah, up until, I think, towards the later half of the film, too. Yeah, it's getting... It's getting towards the end when we, when he pops back up, but he's, yep. he's a suspect. It's weird. It's really weird how they tease you with that, and then they don't give you anything for a while. Yeah, exactly. But Dover believes that they are working together, that Alex and this, this guy are working together. Yes. So, I I mean, it's not completely implausible since there is a manhunt out for this guy now. They had his face on the news. Right. So, when Dover is questioning Alex... He asks him if his RV was parked on Fairmount Circle, which is where Barry disappeared. Right. And he answers no. And I'm assuming Fairmount Circle was probably conditioned out of him. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, he also may not have, he may have been too young at the time to know where Fairmount Circle would have been, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the RV, He he's driving the RV. He's like, I drive the RV. That's where I like to go to get away. He says that, and he goes to park there. So I think there's part of him that remembers some kind of connection to that place yeah. or some kind of comfort with it. But I, I honestly believe he really doesn't remember. Yeah, what, what I, it's all yeah about. he is. This I feel like there's just a lot going on in this movie, but it balances it really well. It does. Because I feel like really we're well. kind of like jumping back and forth a lot between scenes discussing them that's just because the movie does it but i feel like the movie does a really great job of yeah really maintaining a linear coherent structure You're right and it's also like we said it's like a maze you know we're kind Absolutely. of bouncing from one place to another but we don't know if one's gonna lead one way or one's not gonna lead another way right and loki is um checking up on this guy at like the outlet mall or something like that yeah bargain mart whatever and the guy buys children's clothes in different sizes and has messed around with the mannequins. Yeah, bit of a weird, bit weird. Yeah, and we also learn it's been five days since the girls have disappeared. Right. So it's Ooh. been quite a while, which That's means, bad. yeah, which means Dover is not going to be taking that very well either. No, because he even says to Franklin, "It's been five days. Five days since they probably had a drink of water." You know. Yeah. You're right. That's a good point. I want to bring that up because it just shows that line really shows how high the stakes are. Right. And also it kind of shows his character. Like this was something that he would say, you know, survivalist. Yeah. Right. Survivalist attitude. So that's really, it kind of shows our mindset and it shows how desperate they are to find their girls and uses his prepper knowledge to know this kind of stuff. I'm not shocked that Franklin kind of breaks down and tells his wife because his wife seems tougher than him. Like, he just seems like a sensitive guy, and she seems yeah. like a little more 
the cold to the situation or something. Right. But I mean, I'm I'm I am kind of surprised that he lets uh, his wife see Alex because he looks insanely horrible. Yeah, Whoa. he looks bad. Like when like we seen him like being like beat up before, but we never knew how bad it was until now. Wow. Yeah. I and mean, he's like. He can't even. The guy can't hardly see because both his eyes are big and like puffy and stuff. Well, especially for like a. And I remember seeing this for the first time. Oh, I was just like shocked. My jaw dropped. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, this is so dark. <laughs> yeah, like it's really showing how far, at least, Dover is willing to go. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, but and then another part of me thought that maybe they brought the wife there because they thought maybe she would kind of give like this more sensitive right like, kind of like good cop bad cop like we're gonna just beat you to a pulp and she's like hey i'm not gonna let him hurt you anymore it's mm-hmm. okay tell me the information that clearly doesn't work and i get i'm really mad that she let him out of the handcuffs yeah that was kind of dumb it was because and i thought i thought he was honestly too weak to do anything Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm typing, nope, he's wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. yeah he Strength just kind of comes out of nowhere. It, it does. But honestly, you know what I think? I think yeah. that he has clearly been in this situation before because this is the second time he's been kidnapped. Because right. he, like, knows what to do. I feel like this survival instinct is just, like, really there with him. Because mm-hmm. he, like, pushes her, breaks the gra- glass, grabs the glass, hits him, cuts him, screaming for help. Like, he's done that before. Like, he knew what to do. He's also – I feel like he's always been preparing for this moment, too, as well. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I think it's just – although his mind is pretty lost and he has this IQ of a 10-year-old, he uh, – it's just, like, this really big survival instinct that – Yeah. He's, yeah. He's gone and, like, he just has, like, that adrenaline to do it. Right. And going back to the emotion thing, I have my notes, conflicting emotions. I like this. And basically just said, we feel bad for Alex, but we don't know if we, if the, like, actually can, like, kidnapped the children. Yeah. The father wants to get information out of him, but the wife just wants to know, but the wife goes for just an emotional punch rather than a physical one. Mm-hmm. So that's what I put down my notes for that scene. Mm. There And there is a lot because it's like, what, where's the line that we have to draw? When is, when is it too far? Right. You know, yeah. And especially when he puts them in the hot box. Mm. Well, that's what I call it anyway. Yeah. The shower box. Yeah. And this is where, like, this is where I feel like Franklin and his fan, like Franklin and his wife, they're just like, okay, this is the line that we're going to draw right, right here, you know. Yeah. And Dover says, if you want to let him out, go ahead. I'm yeah. not going to stop you, you know. And not even they can bring themselves to let this guy out. I know. You know? Uh, because he may be their only hope of finding exactly. their daughters. Exactly. Oh, it's just really hard. And it's like, it, it brings me to this point of what would you do in this situation? Like, would you let Alex out because it's the more humane thing to do? Mm-hmm. Or would you keep torturing him until you get information out of him? Right. Because you know, we know, they, they, feel that they feel that he knows something because that was his RV and the girls were playing on that RV. And when they went to go search for him, the RV was gone. So put one, two and two together, he must have kidnapped the children. That's the only way that, that's the only way that he's in this, uh, in the case, you know? Right. So... It's a really interesting conflict Conflict because what would you do in the situation? Would you also let him out or would you let him stay in there and be tortured even more by Dover and get information out of it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, my only problem with this, though, is I don't know. I don't know anybody that wouldn't give in 
already. Right. Why why would he be holding out? I mean, we he doesn't he I and this is where I this is where I'm just going to say I don't think he really has the capacity to help them out. Right. Like I feel like he has these moments just because of all the drugs he's been on for so many years and he's just been completely brainwashed, but I just mm-hmm. don't think that he can help them. And I feel like I feel like Dover at this point is so blinded. Like they're so blinded. They're just like grasping onto like this like tiny link that there possibly right. could be. And I'm like, right. he okay, it doesn't make any sense. Like a normal person would have definitely cracked by then. Mm-hmm. What is he gaining? Because and then and then that's just like, oh well, he's got a part. Dover thinks that Alex has a partner, so the partner has him right now and is doing whatever. But if he doesn't, then it's doing him no good because he's not even with those girls that he kidnapped. Right. Why would right. he just suffer through that torture, you know? Right. I, I, that's where that that's where it kind of falls apart though, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I also but I like to also make the argument that he okay, Alex never gives the location of the girls away. Right. He never says hardly anything about the girls at all from basically after he says they didn't cry until I left them. That was the last thing he, he said about the women, about the girls, other than I don't know where they are, you know, I didn't take them, and stuff like that. He says one thing later, though, doesn't he? Does he? Well, it's in my notes. We'll get there. I don't remember it right off the top okay. of my head, but I know he says something. Right. So, okay. Let's, I'll make the argument as of right now in the film. At the very end, he says something, though. So, yeah. Right, right. Uh, as of right now, the characters don't know. He's not saying anything. It's possible that he doesn't remember you know, which I'm probably sure is what it is. Yeah, that's my that'd be my guess too. Is that he just that his brain is just so messed up yeah. at this point that he probably doesn't remember very much. So they're trying to get something out of him, but now he's not giving anything, and so now there's you're trying to push harder and harder until he finally gives it up. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I can see why Dover would continue to go because he's so he's such a strong believer that this is our guy. This is the one that kidnapped my daughters, and he needs to talk right now. You know. Sure, but honestly, I feel like at this point, I, I feel like Dover has lost his faith in God. Yeah, I, I feel like he's completely broken. He's not relying on God in any capacity, and right. he's just going way too far. And I, I agree with Franklin. Franklin's like, this is too far. And they could mm-hmm. potentially kill him, right? Which would land them in an even bigger mess. Oh yeah, and would I mean a dead person can't tell you anything. So and they just they're just I feel like they're not even thinking clearly. Like who would who would get like beat to a pulp, get their bones broken, get scalding hot water poured on them, freezing water poured on them, and not not tell you? Right. Uh, right. No, no, nobody's that hard. You know, nobody could break like right stay like that. It is also okay. I also like to bring up. Maybe a contrast with the movie, too, is that now Dover says we can't punch him anymore without killing him, right? Yeah. So he stuck him in a box where he or Alex can't hardly see a thing, and they can't see Alex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So all they hear is him audibly screaming, you know, for help and, and stuff when they pour in the turn the water and, and whatnot. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely an interesting contrast that now they put him in a box. You know, they've less, not only lessened his amount of space... But now our main characters don't see him; they only hear him. So I feel like maybe psychologically, Dover's kind of broken, like is broken now. Yeah. But it's just doing a really good job at hiding it because now he's put him in a box. You know. Yeah, like they can't really see what they're doing. You know? Right. Right. That's mm. just just upsetting. It is this, yeah, and it's upsetting because Franklin's wife is willing to go along with it now. 
Right. She's like, we're not right. going to stop him, but we're not going to help him anymore. Right. So, Which is kind of upsetting, but I mean, then again, she hasn't been around for the entire sequence of them like uh, torturing this guy either. So she doesn't know like how much they've done. They, she knows that, they, that they've done enough, but I feel like she's also kind of like on the fence of maybe he will eventually give something up, you know? Mm-hmm. And the scene... And we now we finally cut back to the uh, second suspect, and it is just so creepy how he's creeping around their houses and breaks into them so easily and yeah, sneaking around and it's really suspicious. It's really confusing, mm-hmm. and especially since their teenage daughters in the bathtub, this scene really put me on edge when I saw this for the yeah. first time, and even now, yeah. of course. But and and. I don't know. I feel like after I'm sure they weren't thinking about it, but I don't know. I probably would have a not left my older daughter alone, but they're just not thinking. And B, I would have gotten a security system. I would have just really got more security to protect my family better. Yeah, I I agree. They're, they're both leaving. Uh, Dover is constantly leaving his wife and son home alone, mm-hmm. and they left their daughter home alone. And this prowler guy sneaking around. I mean, he could right. be potentially the kidnapper. Right. But, and uh, there's also no police surveillance. Like, I figured there'd at least be something that the police would do for the families, you know? Yeah, you would think so. I think it's because of the captain, how the captain's like, I can't waste manpower watching people. And right. You got a point there. Then, and then Alex gets kidnapped and Loki's like calling him out. He's like, well, you let this happen. I would have been watching his house myself. And right. Like, what's happened, you know? So, yeah, and you're right, because if the police would have been there, then I think this could have helped a little more. So I can understand mm-hmm. Loki's struggle because I feel like he's he feels like he's the only one yeah, like, trying to get anything done, and everybody's mad at him anyway, you know? Right. <laughs> Once again, like a maze, yes. because nobody's willing to help you. <laughs> exactly. Okay, and I would I'm going to go so far as to say that He's not really in a way because we learn more information about this second suspect. He's kind of like a red herring. Yeah, yeah. He He's just leading you in like a wild goose chase. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a distraction from what's, from what's really been under their noses the whole time. He's right. connected to it, but that connection is also really hard to make. And they finally, Loki finally does make the connection, but he just is right. kind of this... Distraction, like we've been saying, he's a maze. He is a potential. He could potentially lead to it, and he actually does, mm-hmm. in a weird maze-like way through a weird yeah. tunnels and zippity zop, you know, all around the corner. But at, at this point of the movie, I kind of felt like he was a red herring, even though even though he does play an important role. Yeah, he, I feel like the movie, um, when it comes to him, kind of loses a little bit of the focus. Yeah, so it's been happening for this long, that. long time, and I get that it's part of the story. It's a maze and everything, you know. But I wish it just would have connected a bit better, you know. Instead of being like, "Oh, there's this guy you saw earlier, and here he is again," you know, yeah. it's kind of like um, I can kind of like lead into it a little bit better. Like maybe it's this way, so they go follow him. Turns out not being anything that they were anything against the case, and they come back, you know. Yeah, and that, and I would agree with you because mm. uh, it's already a long movie, and it it is like. Where is this guy going to lead? What is he doing? He's right. just kind of confusing us and throwing us off and making us wonder what the heck's going on. Yeah. And then the other thing that frustrates me a little bit is 
with his character is they they go through the whole trouble of tracking him down and finding him and examining him and blah 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 and i feel like we don't even get um some answers yeah to his character backstory it's just kind of like presumed like we should have just assumed he's messed up yeah and i i don't know i i there's just not a lot of character motivation there yeah we both have some issues with this this guy and his path on the on the story because he doesn't make a huge impact at the time he just kind of feels like a Kind of like a, de- a detract. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is funny because he he breaks into the Dover's home. Yeah. And she thinks it's the daughter Anna, and then Loki says, "Where's your husband at?" And she says, "He's out searching with the police for Anna, which is what you should be doing." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Well, you just called him, lady." <laughs> yeah, Dang. and she's she's also not doing very much either. Yeah, she's doing nothing. Yeah. And nothing at all. Right. Except just being depressed and just, I'm, uh, I can't do anything. I'm too upset. Yeah. Taking all the drugs and stuff. Yeah. No. And I'm like, poor Loki. She, she's like, hey, someone broke into my house. And she's like, what are you doing here? You should be looking mm-hmm. for my daughter. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what I want from you, lady. <laughs> yeah. She's also, and he's also very skeptical too. Like, she called him because the window was open. So he comes over, you know, to obviously to investigate. Yeah. And then he's like, Windows open. You're going to write that down, aren't you? Oh, yeah, sure. Flip the notebook, yeah. write it down, you know. He, he's obviously very skeptical about sure. this. And I also think this is when he puts two and two together and figures out Dover kidnapped Alex. Yes. Because he's like, wait, where has your husband been? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Well, he also finds out later that uh, he goes to the aunt's house and finds out that he's been gone for a few days, you know. She doesn't want to say anything, to, you know, to mess things up on the case. Right, and I, I think this is when he kind of puts it together. Because yeah. Because then is, this is when he starts following him, and mm-hmm. he acts like the worst detective in the world by, like, stopping his car in the middle of the road. And <laughs> yeah. And the garbage truck's honking. He's like, just go around. And I'm like, man, you were terrible. You're clearly drawing attention to yourself. Yeah, and he, I, and then after that, he pulls his car up into, like, that parking lot right to the left or whatever that is. Yeah. You know, and just sits there like, you could have done that before, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, that was dumb. Yeah. So uh, I was like, that was really stupid. That was like a really odd character moment. I don't know if he's just out of focus. He's just sleep deprived. He's not thinking. And maybe that's what they're trying to show us. Maybe. Otherwise, it's just a really stupid out of character move, I think. It is. It is. And at this point, I wrote down that this film just has this really gritty feel to it or this like grimy feel. Yeah. Because now... Now it goes from this scene. He Dover no one notices him. Walks into the bar, uh, into the liquor store, and then when he comes back out, uh, it is now raining and snowing. Oh yeah. So the conditions also the weather conditions are also just getting completely worse. Yeah. And when he enters the vehicle, the colors in this scene are mainly just black and white. Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the wife's on drugs. She's depressed. Like. All hope is pretty much lost at this point. Mm-hmm. Dover's resorted to drinking, and it's been almost a week. I think it's been about six days. Right. So I, I know it's just like this really grimy feel where it's just like continually just like going down, yeah. down, down, down. And it keeps going too. Like things keep getting worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really do. I mean, they just get worse and worse. Uh-huh. And it, there's just, like you said, there's just this hopeless feel. Even though we have leads to different things, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Like, they don't all connect yet, you yeah. know? 
And you know, I'm sure Dover hates being told what to do by Loki. Yeah. Oh, I would, honestly. If I was his character, I would. I would, too. And you can just really tell that in the portrayal of his character where you can yeah. just tell like he would hate being told like how to take care of his family or something, you know? Yeah. Or what to do. And they just he really sells it in that scene. And he gets yeah. out of control. Yeah, no, this well, this scene's great. Just them, ta- oh, them yeah. two just talking back and forth, only them in the car. It's almost like he's trying to put on a performance, but then at the same time, and he's, he's lying because he's like, oh, mm-hmm. what happened to Alex? I haven't had a drink in nine years, which right. may be true, may not be true. I don't know. And he just gets crazy. He starts pounding on his dashboard and Loki's like, hey, 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 you you need to calm down. You yeah. can't be acting this way. Exactly. And I like how he hasn't really broken in front of anybody until he comes to Loki, you know. This is kind of when he starts to break down. Yeah. yeah and of all people, like the, the investigator of the case, you know. Yeah. Probably the most calm of anybody in this movie right now. Sure. And there is like this, it's not like super defined connection, but there is a connection between Dover and Loki. Oh, yeah. How they're both pursuing the same things, but they're pursuing it in different ways. How they're both kind of these broken characters. Mm -hmm. So there is a really kind of a unique connection that takes some some digging to uncover. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because Dover says, forgive me for not going home to have a good night's rest. And then in the yeah. next scene, that's exactly what he does. Right. He, he just falls, falls asleep in his bed. bed. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then we have this really touching scene of him having a dream of his daughter. Oh, yeah. And it's like, ah, even making things even more worse, you I know? know? They're pulling at our heartstrings even more. Yeah. And I love how you kind of get like a distant shot of her when he wakes up and she's like, Daddy, you found me or whatever. And he wakes up. And she's like way off in the left side of the frame, mm. and and you only see her um, because of like the yellow light coming in through the shades. Yeah. And when it does like a close up on her, she's out of focus, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's a great. And it, I th- and I almost say it's kind of some visual storytelling that even though the father is trying to go after her, maybe he's losing focus of her, you know. Oh, that's yeah, that's the perfect connection. Yeah. yeah, and I I also think that it's I think it's really important that they decided to bring. They, they actually decided to show her, not necessarily bring her back up, yeah. but put a face to what is missing, to who is missing. And I think that's what they're trying to show is because I do, I think you're completely right that his focus is lost, his motives are lost, what they're actually yeah. going for. I mean, he's just become so blind and disoriented and caught up into it. But I think it's also important for the audience to remember oh, yeah. what they've been sitting in the theater for an hour and a half for what this movie is about, what they're trying to find. They're trying to find these prisoners, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think you're completely right. And it's, and I didn't think I really realized that when I watched the movie, but now that you brought it up, like right. she's out of focus and she's still like only in his dream. She's still unattainable, but mm-hmm. she's possible. And he, and I like how he remembers how she wanted to go find the red whistle. Yeah. That was really right. important to him. Right. So, which plays a part later on too. It is, and we talked about this in Silence of the Lambs. How great foreshadowing is used in that and symbolism. Yes, and this is just perfect with the setup Mm. and foreshadowing. And I'm going to bring this up now too. This film, just like Silence of the Lambs, it flows just so well. Even though this film has a bit more of a of a jarring feel when it moves from one scene to the next, sometimes Mm -hmm. it it's meant to be that way because it's a maze, you know. Right. Although I would I would argue that maybe Sansa Lambs 
follow, flows a bit better than this one does, they both flow, flow very, very well. And it just makes for just a great movie overall. Yeah, and I would say that um, the reason Silence of the Lambs would probably flow better is because the story is more clear-cut, and we've seen yes. Buffalo Bill. We know who the kidnapper is, and we know what's going on with the girl. Where is this? It's really leaving you in suspense and leaving you up in the air. Right, As right. to where these girls are who's kidnapped them. Right. And not saying that's a detract from this film. That's no. just how it is. That's right. just how the film was made. That's, it needs to be that way. Exactly. And they're both, yeah, they're both made different in that way. Yeah. So, and this film is also quite a bit longer. It's at least like half an hour longer than Silence of the Lambs, isn't it? About, yeah. So, but if you're invested enough in this film, it won't bother you. Yeah. The scene changes and the the length because at this point you're either I I just don't know if you've made it this far into the movie how could you not be invested and want to know how it ends. Oh, exactly. So. Like there's so much that's going on going on in this movie that it, it's at this point where it's either a make or break. Like if you don't like this movie at this point, then you're probably not going to completely like it up until the end, but I mean if you've loved it until this yeah. point, you're going to love it till the end. Right. But we also learn more about Dover's backstory and right this really threw me off i completely forgot about this and mm-hmm. i was uh, it really throws me off i i'm not gonna say i understand it and i think maybe that's the point is yeah like the same thing with the kidnapping there's like there's no explanation really there's mm-hmm. no uh, why would somebody do that and it's kind of like with his dad like his life has had these really horrible shake-up moments Mm-hmm. That he can't put a words to that have really challenged his faith because we learned that his father has committed suicide. Right. He he shot himself at 46 and his teenage son found him in a, along with the wife. And we don't ever get a reason. At first it bugs me. Like I want to know you're like giving me all of these things but you're not giving me yeah. reasons. And I think that's right. the point because they never get a reason. Well, okay. Loki gets a reason but Dover never gets a reason why his daughter was kidnapped. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I just think that's a way of showing the audience that real life isn't so clear cut. Yeah. Like you're not always going to get a reason for everything that happened, you know? Right. Whereas like some movies, they'll give you tons of exposition and they'll explain mm-hmm. everything away. But what Denise Villeneuve is doing with this film is he's really making it real. I mean, this film feels so real. And oh, yeah. There's not always an answer to everything. And, and like there's no suicide note. Right. And it shows that in three different – three times with each shot getting closer to the screen. Mm-hmm. No suicide note was found. It shows it three different times because I, I paused and I rewound it and I noticed that. I was like they're really kind of hammering home that point that there's not there's not always an explanation. I don't know. That's – I mean that's – it just shows – it helps explain why Dover is kind of messed up. Yeah. It helps show that why he's so hard too. Why he's so hard, why he – yeah, it, it just provides a really – fantastic character depth mm-hmm. that is really hard to put into words honestly it really is it's one of those things you just kind of have to watch just to completely understand what we're talking about that's why we really wanted you to watch this film before yeah. you listen to us discuss it because if you're just listening to us discuss it you're really cheating yourself and you're not getting the enjoyment of these performances yeah Th- this is one of those i would i would hardly say is a movie it's an experience absolutely Absolutely. I mean, some movies you go to just enjoy the story 
But then there are other movies where you're just you get lost in the experience. Yeah, and this yeah. is one of them where you just f- are fully enveloped by this. It's magnificently done. And okay, this is where I was talking about what Alex says. He doesn't say anything about the girls. What he says is, "I'm not Alex. I waited, right. and he never came. I just wanted to play, and he never came." And he repeats that like a number of times, and I was, I was, I was like, "Oh wow!" Yeah, I never got that when I first watched it. I put on subtitles for this viewing because, like, I don't want to miss anything, you know. Yeah, and it's almost like because you know that um, his aunt, quote unquote, aunt Holly Jones and her husband brainwashed him. Right. And it's almost right. like Dover has done the opposite and like unbrainwashed him in a way. Right. And he's like, I'm not Alex. I'm not Alex. And um, I can only guess. Um, I think, again, this is kind of playing with the duality of fathers, um, like earthly father and heavenly father. When he says, I waited and he never came. This is really despairing because it's like his maybe his dad never came. Right. To save him. But also maybe like his heavenly father, aka God, never came. Yeah. And God yeah. has like kind of abandoned him. And this there is kind of like this thing to this movie where it's like you feel like God has abandoned these people mm-hmm. in a way. Up until the end, of course. So right. I, I think that's what he's talking about. It's a really heartbreaking scene. It is. When you just realize the full weight of it that he is not Alex. He was kidnapped at the age of seven. He was brainwashed, given horrible drugs, had mm-hmm. to do horrible things. He now lives with his captor, and now he is just being tortured to the extreme. Right. And he's just one – it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the whole movie when you realize oh, it is. that it this – It's like, oh my gosh, I just can't believe this has happened. Mm-hmm. And then it just gives you that feeling like, yeah, when he's like, I, I waited and he never came, which – Kind of makes me think of Room in a way. Yeah, yeah. How Brie Larson's character is like, I was in there for, what, seven years or something? Seven years, yeah. She was in there for seven years, and she probably felt the same way. Like, where was my dad? He never came. Where were my parents? Where was God when all of this horrible tragedy occurred? Yeah. So, I don't know. That's another great film that we'll have to review sometime is Room. There's a lot of connections with this, I feel, in a way. Because she is a prisoner. She is. Yeah, you're right. Of she a, is. Of a sex offender, a crazy guy. So, But not to give too much away about that film. That'll be no. a later date. Yes. But no, I completely agree with you. That's a really great point you brought up because with that, Alex, when he says this, he's kind of given up. Like, where are you, God, when I needed you? Later in that scene, Dover breaks down and then also calls out to God. Like, he prays and stuff. Oh, you know? yeah. And that's it's a really interesting point. Everybody put those two together until you brought it up. But... Yeah, it's it's also kind of interesting, but now Dover's gotten to the point now where he's not, where he's now asking, gave me the strength, you know. Absolutely. And this makes me think that Dover's father failed him because he clearly took his own life. Mm-hmm. And now Dover is in a situation where I'm sure he wants to just despair and give up. Yeah. But it's like in the book of Job when Job has everything taken from him and everyone's like just curse god and die and Mm -hmm. that's kind of where dover is at throughout most of this movie yeah because he doesn't he doesn't want to fail his family though like that's the drive he has this family that he clearly loves and he doesn't want to fail them and it just shows Mm -hmm. the length of what a father will go to right to whereas his father 
failed him. He doesn't want to fail his kids. And I wrote it down. He says, help me, God. I'm relying on your infinite power and mercies and hope to obtain forgiveness from my sins. That's like a really mm-hmm. beautiful prayer. It is. So I, I wrote that down. And that's kind of when I feel like Dover throughout this film, he's he had faith in the beginning and he goes through such this tremendous challenge and crisis of faith. But you see that his faith is not gone and instead he is now relying upon God. Right. Like right. instead of his faith being ruined, it's actually strengthening his faith mm-hmm. because it's it's causing him to rely more on God instead of his own human earthly power with right. his limitations. It definitely goes deeper in that too later on in the film. And I don't want to give it away now, but um, he prays one more time – or no, two more times later on. And one of those prayers is about his daughter. Mm. But one point I want to bring up. When you said Job, I would almost argue that maybe Alex fits more into that Job category than Dover does. Because now, at this point in Alex's life, he has nothing. And if he gives away the fact that he has the daughters or he knows where they're at, it's over for him. That's it, you know. He is now going to be put in jail and he will never be out for the rest of his life, you know. So, even okay, even if he knows what daughters are at or not, he I feel like Alex, as well as Dover, are both kind of in this spot where they have nothing left. You know, and maybe that's a parallel of the two characters of, you know, even though one's a kidnapper and one is not, and one is just trying to look for their daughters, they now have, they now share this parallel that Al kidnapped the daughters, but now Dover's also kidnapped the kidnapper, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And I, I really feel like we can make that connection to Job. Like these characters mm-hmm. are, just, are just so despairing. Like they feel like God has like t- abandoned them. He's taken everything away. Like, uh, Satan, the enemy, has just completely taken everything away. But right. it's, it's almost like a test in a way. God yeah. is testing their faith and resolve whether they will. Because Satan and Lucifer in the book of Job says that, I bet I can make them turn against you. Right. And that's kind of what um, Holly Jones, the aunt, is doing. She's like, we right. want them to despair. We want them to curse God. And we want them to lose their faith. She's playing right. the Lucifer role in this scenario and it's showing that although like maybe like our earthly father may fail, which is interesting. I never knew there were so many of these Christian parallels or oh, yeah. Christian parallels. Yeah. Like our true source of reliance and strength should be upon God and he is the one that will provide that comfort, that reassurance and will ultimately help in the end. Right. You know? Right. Oh, heavy, heavy subject matters. Yeah. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Well, okay, this is weird when Loki busts into the apartment and he says, I'm not going to find two girls in here, am I? And I think that's just like another red herring or trying to mess with the audience, like could yeah. he possibly be? But we've discussed it so much that we know there's no no possible way that it would yeah. be Dover. Yeah. That, that twist would be completely, uh, it, would, it would just be a betrayal of the character and of the story. Right, right. But it does it does give you that weird shadow of a doubt, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And there's actually, in this scene, I noticed a lighting, some lighting foreshadowing. Okay. Um, I had put it down my notes. There's a scene when Joan Hall is walking up to where Alex is at, you know, mm-hmm. and it's showing from like Dover's kind of perspective. He's way back on the side of the frame, whereas Loki's more in the middle, and he's walking towards it. And Dover's com- almost completely black in, in this scene, where it's a pretty bright room, and he's pretty, and Dover is black, and while, uh, What's his face is like, or, you know, Joan Hall is walking towards the door of where Alex is at, but he never gets there, of course, and he ends up getting a phone call and a lead. 
So I thought that was a very, very interesting scene, or very mm-hmm. interesting shot, I would say. Mm-hmm. Finally, we get to when Loki finds this mysterious man, Creepo. Yeah. And Loki looks really crazy in this shot. Like, this guy is trying to act normal. Surprisingly, he seems he seems to have this level of normality that you wouldn't think he would. But mm-hmm. Loki is acting crazy. I mean, he's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Near a taxi <laughs> it's, driver it is, it's kind of silly. Well, he's, he just, he's just fed up with it. He just busts in. And dang, does he take that guy out? He throws his head against the wall and just yeah. tackles him and pins him up. Golly. At this point, I feel like even Loki is starting to lose his mind because why am I not? Why, why are things that I'm finding out not leading, not connecting at all, you know? Yeah, I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating. But oh, yeah. This scene freaked me out when you see that guy's walls. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. He has a maze pattern all over the walls. And like, like literally everywhere too, like even like all over the doors and stuff, everywhere. And you can still tell he's still working on it too. Yeah. And he has a pig head in the sink. Exactly. Which is gross. You don't do that. Yeah. Why would you have a pig? What a freak. Weirdo. Yeah. This guy's a, <laughs> he's a lunatic. And it's so, okay, this scene creeps me out because it made me question, okay, he's wearing a tie and stuff. So he probably has like this semi- formal job you know right right but it's freaky because then it makes me wonder like how many other people who seem normal or even maybe like a little off at jobs are like crazy nut job freaks at home true yeah you know? that's a good point I'm like oh yeah man, that, i don't like i don't like thinking about that yeah and he's definitely a regular it looks like a regular guy you know yeah and when Loki comes up to him he's actually normally like yeah i was i was there and, and he was like so you bought some children's clothes like oh did i guess i just really didn't notice it was in a, it was in a hurry you know and that that that's what tipped him off honestly yeah when that like, was oh it. i did i must not have realized it it's like yeah mm-hmm. you did you freak yeah <laughs> so ooh, and it's so weird what he finds in that room yeah i was okay when i first saw this movie i was like no you're not going there, are you? No. <laughs> I thought the children were in those crates and stuff. I was like, you can't be serious, you know? Have you seen Seven? No, but I know of, I know of it, but I haven't seen it. Okay, well, that's that's for another time. I won't review. What's in the box? Like, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> I will. We will not review. We will not spoil that for those who haven't seen it on here. Yes. But yes. So okay, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm kind of a weirdo, I guess you could say, when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, I just want it to get darker and darker and creepier and creepier. Yeah. Like I wanted him to like keep searching the house and find creepier things. I don't right. know why, but I just kind of like that. Like when the story gets like really whacked out and creepy and yeah, it's creepy what he finds, but I kind of wanted it to be a little creepier. I don't know that. Right. That right. might sound weird, but I just like it when the story goes really dark like that. Yeah. So, and, and it is freaky what he finds. Yeah, it ends up not being the children in those crates, just end up being a bunch of snakes. Snakes and clothes with blood all over them. Yes, Locked up in padlocks mm-hmm. with a heater, which I'm assuming that heat was for the snakes. What a weirdo. I, I just, yeah. I, don't, I don't even understand that. I don't understand that. Yeah, and then he also finds the Book of Mazes, too. I don't think I want to understand that. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, and it says if you can finish all, all of the maze, you can go. Yes. Which is freaky. We find out later what that means. Supposedly, this guy confessed and said he murdered the girls. Yes, he does when they. I believe he does when they can when they take him in. Because Dover asked Dover's like, so he confessed. He confessed mm-hmm. to murdering the girls, and 
Loki's like, yeah, he did, but we haven't found any evidence that he has done right. that. And that's when they have to examine the clothes. And right. oh, that scene is that scene hurts. That's a really heart. Oh man, that's just a heart wrenching scene. Looking at your yeah. daughter's little clothes, and especially when we see the when it's just Dover and now his wife, mm-hmm. and he is given the picture of just the sink of his sock, and he just looks at it for a second, and then he just like just breaks down. Yeah, that's hard. And it, it's a heartbreaking scene. And of course, Dover blames Loki for it. Yeah, and he does. I honestly think at this point in the movie, we're an hour and forty two minutes in. And I would think most people in the movie and maybe in the audiences think the daughter is dead. Yeah, it's definitely giving that vibe of they're dead. Uh, I I would think like there's so. still a very small sliver of hope. Yeah, but and yeah. I really hate the next scene when the son confronts the dad. And yeah, I think although the son is not very respectful, I can understand his anger and how he kind of calls his dad out. But his dad just like throws him against the wall yeah and just like tells him to shut the f up and screams in his face and also some symbolism here too he knocks over the little dollhouse in the girl's room tell me a little more what are you thinking like okay like when he's talking to his son yelling him and stuff and he pushes his son and when he goes and that goes to leave he kicks over the dollhouse and after this really quick shot of the dollhouse just like falling over as he walks by you know and it's definitely oh, yeah. going to show that he's trying to he's starting to tear his family apart you know that makes sense yeah that's true. Right. I thought when I first watched it, the movie, I was like, I know what that means. I was like, kind of, uh, I thought it was cool stuff because <laughs> I figured out what the metaphor means. But now I'm looking That's back funny. at it now and I was like, well, is that a bit too much in my face? You know, like, did they need to show that the dollhouse yeah. falling over and stuff? It didn't bother me. I didn't even think about it until you brought it up. Yeah. There. I mean, so. maybe it's just me. Sure. But we jump back to poor Bob. I, I kind of feel bad for him. Yeah. Because yeah. he's just trying to complete the maze. I mean, and he's lost it. He's just out of his mind. And mm-hmm. Dover, Both of them are. Both of them are completely lost at this point. And Loki's fed up with it, too. He's lost his mind. He goes nuts. He slams his head into the table. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this scene is really shocking and really disturbing. Yes. Oh, well, you know what? And I wrote the same thing in my notes because you said Dover goes, Dover's going nuts. And I said... When Loki goes nuts, it's kind of like Dover going nuts. Yeah, you're right. It is. They're just both going to violent extremes mm-hmm. because they're not getting what they want. Right, right. So uh, it's it's graphic when Bob shoots himself. Did that catch you by surprise? Yeah, when, when we first it? watched it, I was like, "Whoa!" You know, like this is and the most frustrating part is that this is this is his only lead at this point. Yeah. His only lead for anything in the case, and he kills himself. You know. That's true, and I just I know, and I Gyllenhaal does a wonderful job of like yes. expressing the shock and horror f- from a character who's been who seems pretty desensitized yeah. to like horrific things and hasn't shown a lot of emotion. He's just like, oh my, he's like, I, I, oh, I just can't believe that happened, mm-hmm. you know. And he's like trying to keep himself together. He's like, call a freaking RA in here, you know, and yeah. and stuff. And then he ends up walking out. And this is okay. This is where I would say is the film's lowest possible point. Is it this scene when Loki kind of goes over to his desk and then like just like like just throws oh, everything over the place? Yes. You know, it takes the keyboard, yes. slams it. You know, at that That's point, a powerful scene. yeah, at that point in the film, it has now gotten to its lowest point. You know, mm-hmm. that's a really powerful scene, and it just feels like because not only has the only lead killed himself, you know, as up until this point, the film has had this hopeless feeling to it, and now that feeling I feel is like just maxed out because. Everything that we possibly had in the case is now basically gone because I got healed himself, you know. Yeah, and there's not going to be really a turning point for a little while. Yeah, it kind of rises line for a little bit too. 
Well, then again, Joan Hall bring finds out like parts piece starts piecing things together at this point. You know, he finds oh, the yeah. picture and the yes. caper and stuff. He starts piecing things to get piecing things together. And that, and I, and I think that's a cool connection. Yeah, that the impossible maze, the maze at the very end of a book, is his necklace, which makes me wonder though. Um, hmm, I don't know. I'm kind of confused because this ex FBI agent who wrote that book. Mm-hmm. And put the last maze in there is supposedly the maze of that guy's necklace. Right. Okay, if he never caught the guy and never knew the guy, how would he know what that maze was, though, on his necklace? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. That that kind of breaks down. Yeah, that bit. kind of breaks down. I don't I don't know. I I would really kinda of answer that. My guess is just kind of one of those things you kinda of just have to buy it, you know? Yeah, you just kinda of have to give the movie. Yeah. You wouldn't even think about it unless right, right. you brought it up. So but back to the maze, um, now this kind of like whole maze like symbolism is starting to pick up mm-hmm. because Alex actually says they're in the maze. That's where you'll find them. That's what I was referencing. Yeah, yeah it's right, right, right. They're in the maze. That's where you'll find them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're just like these little tiny clues that don't make any sense to Dover. And but and this establishes that there's clearly a connection between Alex and Bob. And Alex has moments of lucidness like. And and I don't think he should torture him any longer because he's clearly trying. It's not like he's just yeah yeah like I'm just going to tease you with little information and then I'm going to completely forget. I mean I just yeah that, that's just a frustrating aspect of Dover's character, like how far he goes torturing this poor guy. Right, and it's almost I feel to a point now where he doesn't really want to torture him anymore. You know, no, he doesn't. He no, just he doesn't. like he it was just there's definitely this look on his face where I can't I don't want to do this anymore. I just want the information. You know, yeah. So you're right. I think this is. The scene, he tries to say the Lord's Prayer and then doesn't get all the way through it. And I think it's the, this is also when he next goes to talk to his quote-unquote aunt. Right, Holly, yeah, yeah. Holly Jones. And she kind of gives him this weird backstory, like her and her husband used to be devout in some form of Christianity. Yep. They traveled around in their camper with their son, handing out pamphlets, telling the good news. So a little crazy, it seems like. Right, and we find out later and, that she's trying to de- you know deter him from God, which is interesting too. Well, and I think the reason that is is because their son died of cancer. She's like, our son died of cancer. Then we saw things differently. Right. Forgot and about then, that. Yeah. right after that, they adopted slash abducted Alex. Yeah, right. And she's like, we never got over the loss of our son. So I think there is already something that was cracked about them. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling these people weren't um, trying to spread true Christianity. I think they're trying to spread some really warped form of Christianity. right. right. And then I feel like they felt like they were abandoned by God because clearly they're like they they thought of themselves as these devout Christians mm-hmm. traveling the country trying to win people over and then their son dies and then they kind of like think, Oh, this is God's fault, so they turn against God. Right, right. And that's why they want to destroy uh other families because they feel like God destroyed their family and they want to Exactly deter people from God and that's a really kind of scary and dark way of thinking of it, mm-hmm. how they're going around, like, I mean, trying to, like, undo what right. God's created with the right. family, you know? It's not it's not abnormal for someone who has faith to lose that faith if something really, yeah. really bad happens to someone that, someone that they love or themselves, you know? Sure. No, you're completely right. That's not abnormal yeah. at all. Um, it's And that's what the movie is showing us, how it seems like these people are losing their faith through this and it's kind of like these crackpots the joneses they're like all right 
we're going to put other families through what we had to go through. Right. You know, it's except it's just really messed up. It's yeah. Really despicable. Right. So they at least killed 16 children, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Or they at least kidnapped 16. Yeah. Yeah. He said he killed 16, but Alex would be 17. And then Bobby, who escaped, would have been 18. So mm-hmm. nearly 20. And that's a lot of. And who's to say there's not more either? And who's to say they're not more, yeah, over that time span? It's, right. Oof. Oh, okay, and this is weird because I think that Dover is probing um, Holly by saying, I keep dreaming of being lost in, in a maze. Yeah. In a maze. So I feel like he's trying to um, see if that has any meaning to her because that's what Alex brought up. Right. right. And she also brings up her husband had snakes. Alex was a – oh, she said, Alex doesn't talk much now because he was afraid of snakes. He got bit by one of them. Right. And she's like, that's not my favorite memory. And honestly, I don't know. I'm sure your imagination can go to many different places. But I feel like maybe the snakes would be used in some sort of weird religious way, probably. Maybe. I've heard of that yeah, before. yeah. And also, like, as some form of, like, punishment. Like, if you do something wrong, that's like a form of brainwashing them. Like, you're right. going to get bit by a snake. And we noticed that guy, uh, the Bobby guy, in his house, he had all those snakes locked up. Right. So it's almost like maybe he's trying to, like, lock away that horrible part of his childhood. Yeah, yeah. Like, with the children's clothes and, like, the the blood and the snakes. Like, he's trying to put that away, maybe. Mm-hmm. Lock that away in that part of the house. I think that's a symbolic aspect to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Oh, wait. I want to talk about how Bob buried the two mannequins on the side of his house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, isn't that been, they don't figure they find out later though, right? Yeah, it's, it's just like right after this, I think. Okay. Uh, okay, I thought that was bizarre. Did you think that was really bizarre? Yeah, because I know we know. That, I thought it was children. Yeah, I was so scared when I first saw it. Yeah, we know that. Well, as we said before, uh, we find out that Bobby goes in, buys her new clothes, and then would like mess with the mannequins and stuff, which is really yeah. weird. <laughs> but yeah, we find out that he's apparently took a couple and has buried them. And bashed one of their heads in. Right. Which is really weird because the kids, or at least Dover later, gets put in a pit. Yeah. And, yeah, they're kind of buried in that sense. Yeah. And I also think of it as, like I just brought up, they're trying to, he's trying to, like, lock away that part of himself in the house in all of those cases. Yeah. And then I also feel like he's trying to bury his kidnapping and, like, what was done to him as a child. That's why he took the child mannequin and he kind of, like, bashed its head in kind of like he's killing that part of himself right right like killing the child in himself he like wants to do it mm-hmm. so i think he's a person that wants to change because he he escaped after three weeks right but he was still put on that lsd whatever drug mm-hmm. um for a while and totally screwed him up for the rest of his life Yeah, he's still like we definitely know at this point that whatever they whatever the guys kidnap him whatever they do to him definitely messes him up because we we have Alex and now we have Bobby and they're both in like they're messed up. Yes. And so this kind of made me think of okay, because in that previous news clipping when they were talking about um, Barry getting kidnapped, they um, talked about two kids were were taken, I think, like the year before. Yeah. And I thought, could that symbolize him and the other kid? But then I was like, well, that doesn't work because Holly said that Barry was the first Alex was the first kid they took. Right, right. So, I don't know. I guess that theory doesn't really work, but I like the other one better where he's really trying to bury that part of his past. Yeah, yeah. And 
this is when they talk about the Invisible Man book. Mm-hmm. They find it, um, and yeah. And he was drugged on an LSD slash ketamine, ketamine cocktail. And I looked it up. It's more commonly known as Ketalar, and it's used to start and stop anesthesia. Mm. And it it does a trance-like state that gives pain relief, sedation, and memory loss. Weird. Yeah. So it definitely helps if the kids were to escape, they wouldn't know, you know, what happened to them. Exactly. That's why Alex knows nothing because for like 26 years he's been taking LSD and ketamine. So I guess that does help that he wouldn't know where the girls are at, would it? Oh yeah, that's why I'm that's when I asked the questioner right. you wanted to bring it up later. That's why I was like I honestly think he couldn't help them at all. Right. Because you got a point of, there. Because of this like LSD ketamine cocktail that he's been put into him for like probably over two decades. Oh yeah. Yeah. So his his he's like completely lost pretty much mm-hmm. except for these like very tiny moments of lucidness which are only brought out of trauma right right when when trauma is inflicted upon him then it like kicks something around in his memory right yeah so i i would say i would, I would definitely agree with you on that because if he's been on this stuff for quite a while then of course he's gonna you know forget things and who's not to say after he takes the two girls he goes back home with them that his that his aunt's gonna give him some more to forget about what he just witnessed you know or what he just did Oh, yeah. I, I have no doubt she's still feeding that crap oh, yeah. in small doses. Right. Puts it in those, like, two-liter soda bottles or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the we learned that the last maze in the book is unsolvable, which I'm pretty sure is trying to say, like, is this movie unsolvable? Is this case unsolvable? Mm-hmm. Will we find out? Because so far they've been hitting pretty much dead ends. I mean, they've been getting little clues, but that's really been leading them nowhere. Yeah. So far. Yeah, this entire movie's been that way. So, yeah. And and but but it does pay off in the end. Yes, we should say yes. So it's not it's not like it's worthless or anything. It does pay off. Right. And I also looked up. Um, we saw a close up of the wife's pills bottles. She's on bromazepam, which is an anti anxiety pill. Makes sense. So I don't know. I just thought I'd look that up. Yep. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty distraught. Yeah. You know what? Okay, this is finally when Joy is found. Yes. Joy Joy Birch. Yes. And just the face Hugh Jackman makes when his wife says Joy is alive and at the hospital, uh, that it's just amazing. Yeah, it's finally something good is happening in this film for once, you know. Yeah, and this is where, hmm, okay, this is where things take a positive turn for like a second. Yes. And then they just like go mega dark. And it immediately and, changes tones. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just like this like – potential ray of hope and then it's like yeah and 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 it's her remembering what what it was like you know what she was doing and with the other daughter in there too and it's like Mm -hmm. whoa you know because it's just so sudden once she sees dover she instantly remembers what just happened you know yeah and she's like you were there you know and everything and it's like uh you know yeah well oh oh yeah that scene that scene scares me because the girl wakes up and she's like you were there and then that music yes the flashback is like the music shows the maze and them like laying in the room with the drugs and everything yeah and And that 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 really confused me and i remember my dad saying when we saw that he he's like oh wait is it actually dover is he actually the kidnapper because then you see him running away yeah which is really suspicious right and that i think that really is meant to throw audiences off and it confused me too i was like holy cow wait a minute mm-hmm. this movie did not go where i thought it is he's actually like a sicko you know right whose dad right. committed suicide and he actually has them because loki did that gave that line earlier like i'm not gonna find two girls in here am i mm-hmm. 
True and we that. do see, and honestly, I think the reason she, um, Joy thinks it's him is because we see the coat, and I think they have the same coat. Right. Yeah. Remember Dover's coat with the hood? That's the same coat that grabs her. That's why she said that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was always wondering what this scene was Me about. And I was like, but uh, now it makes sense. Okay. That makes sense yeah. a lot. Yeah. I think that's the only connection. And you notice something really creepy is when Joy says she doesn't give the sex of the abductor. She says it put tape over our mouth. Right. Right. So we don't really know really? if it was Alex or if it was her, you know. Yeah, we don't know if it was Alex, Holly, or even Dover. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's just creepy when she refers to the abductor as it. Yeah. Tapor, yeah. So, and honestly, Dover running away makes him look guilty, and he like drives up over the thing, yeah, through the grass and into traffic like a nutso, like he's completely running away. And Loki's like, "Stop! Where are you going? Yeah, like a crazy man." Yeah, and so he's chasing, you know? and he Loki's like, "Okay, I know where he's going," you know, and so he heads over yeah. to. Uh, the uh the apartment i think where his dad where uh, alex is at he has where alex is at no dover no uh loki yes loki does go to the apartment yeah. yeah and okay when loki finds alex he just has this stone cold look like he's like he's seen it all like when he finds alex like oh my gosh i can't believe this mm-hmm. like he's you know trying to I mean? pull things together now you know yeah and honestly i think when dover does go to uh holly's house i think he's got a great cover-up he does he does and he plays it really well Yeah, he tries to like he's trying like i'm just gonna just gonna go in you know i'm gonna act like it you know he's gonna of course try and turn the tables on her but that backfires okay but i'm i'm confused how does he know that it's holly how does he know it's her i think he had a, a fleeting suspicion the whole time I, but i don't know it's we think that's one of my big issues, honestly. Yeah, is because she says to Joy says to him in the hospital, she says you were there, and then he's like he has this revelation somehow, and then he runs and goes to her house, and he's ready to confront her and stop her and say, "Where's my daughter?" But I'm just right. And, and like I said, there's the jacket connection earlier. So was and then it made me want to go back and watch all of their scenes, and I'm like, was she wearing his like? his jacket pretty much the same kind of jacket mm-hmm. and then he like <gasps> i don't know but that's yeah I, that's pretty left open i think so i'm i don't like that though yeah i don't know it it does i never picked that part up either so i i don't know why he thought it was uh molly's house or not but why did she know that he was and how did she know that he was coming there like she's just like so on edge and suspicious that'd be my guess um, I guess. That doesn't explain that either. He just goes there and he's like, this is her. I know it. And I really feel like there's something missing because she probably heard that Joy was found. And then he comes there and then. Well, okay. If she heard just... that Joy was found, then I guess I could understand why she'd be kind of on edge, you know. Sure. That makes sense. So. I just. Uh, yeah. That part really wasn't given much time to develop. Yeah. I just agree. kind of disappointing because. And Loki just comes upon her by accident, even though he has way more clues than Dover does, honestly. Right, right. So, but I mean, then again, that's an issue. Miss uh, Loki's also kind of the one who wants the facts more than of a, a suspicion. Yeah. So true. This okay. This twist really shocked me the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was completely thrown off. I was so shocked. I was too. I did not believe it was her. I was like, no way. Yeah, the whole time I was like, it's got to be Alex. It's got to be Alex, right? 
And then it <laughs> completely changes at the scene. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And I mean, now that like we've analyzed it so much and like when I was watching it yes- yesterday and I, I just analyzed it so much, mm-hmm. I could see the twist coming now though. You were, yeah, yeah. Like I could see the connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after already. watching it, even just like a second time, you can definitely see why, how she weaved herself into the story, you know? Sure. And this is kind of like what you were saying earlier. This is like an experience like if you want to be a detective and figure out this movie, mm-hmm. you can. You yeah. can look at all the clues they give you exactly. and kind of jump into it, almost like a video game in that sense, where you can decipher it. Yeah, yeah. But I honestly kind of have a hard time believing that Dover just lies down like this and lets the old woman get the job on him. Yeah, and he's just like okay, I'll do it. Yeah. <sighs> I just wish he would have fought somehow and got shot and done something. I don't know. But she is threatening the daughter. You know, I just, I don't know. I was surprised he didn't try to flip the table. I Mm -hmm. just assumed maybe he's just so afraid that if he doesn't do it, then she'll just go shoot the daughter or something. Also, I'd also be kind of apt to believe that maybe if he gets himself captured, now that he doesn't really have much of a choice, if he were to get himself captured, maybe he can see his daughter, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and she kind of says, like, Drink it and I'll take you to your daughter or mm-hmm. something. Maybe like you'll that. find it on there, I think is what she says. But yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know what? And this is one of the things I I always hate about movies is when I mean they're clearly doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. But when someone goes lone wolfing it and then this happens, right. and it's like if you would have told somebody what you were doing, right, then we could have resolved all of this. Right. But it is also in Dover's character to kind of just take things in his own hands as well. Sure. That's that's true. It, at least the movies established the precedent right. of him being, you know, lone wolf macho man. Right. And honestly, I mean, they got to have more of an exciting finish than. Yeah. Then you know, just the police like, ah, busted. Yeah. Dover was our secret <laughs> agent rocking in there. Right. So she and I thought it was interesting how she couldn't even remember Alex's name. Yeah. She calls him Jimmy. Then then she gets it right and calls him Barry or and then. And she forgot it. She's like, I forgot about Bobby Taylor, mm-hmm. which makes you think that she's been doing it like so long. She just didn't even remember the yeah. kids that they've. She just it. yeah, so starts to forget the names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she thinks, well, she thinks that Dover has become a demon because she calls him a demon, essentially. Right. Right. Which I don't believe he is. I believe her plan has failed. They haven't. He hasn't lost his faith. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. You're you're so right on that. Actually, yeah. Were you surprised about the the broken down car twist? Yes. I was like, that car is not going to work. Is you going to have to push it all the way or something like that? You know, she's like, it's yeah. underneath the car. And so she, he tells her to get in or tell, yeah. she tells him to get in. And he like pulls it out and she pushes him down the hole. Yeah, that was well, surprising. I like how he gets shot. Yeah, he also gets, she, he's like, you're going to go down the hole or, um, and he's like, no, I'm only going to go down if you shoot me. And so she's like, mm. all right. So she shoots him in the foot. <laughs> yeah that was ooh. yeah i do like that though how he's because i was like man you're just going you're doing everything way too easily mm-hmm. you know like you could have like probably i mean i know he had the drugs in her but i thought maybe he could have knocked into her or something but right right but and at that point i would be kind of shocked too that oh crap she's really not messing around at this point you know right and what also is just so heartbreaking is when she says alex never laid a finger on the girls yeah like, that kind of pulls it all together at that point. It's like, oh my gosh, he has just tortured this guy for no reason. Yeah. 
Right. Like, look what he's done. He's uh, just almost become just as bad as Holly Jones and her husband. Mm-hmm. In a way, you know? Right. Because, I mean, they did, those boys didn't do anything wrong. So, and now right. they didn't do anything wrong either. So, I mean, yeah, it's really heartbreaking. It is. And he probably broke a leg or two jumping down there. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, I, or hurt something other than just being shot in the foot. Yeah, he probably breaks his legs. And then it's so, so scary when she says, I hope you're still alive when she dumps the daughter's body down. Yeah. There. That's just horrible. And you're just praying that won't happen. Yeah. That's just too dark. Yeah, I and agree. On, okay, honestly, when I first saw the film, I was slightly disappointed that, okay, because they've been talking about mazes so much. Yeah. I thought there was a maze under there. Right. I thought yeah. I thought that when he jumped down in there, it was going to be like a tunnel and he had to like follow it or find mm-hmm. his daughter in the middle of a maze or find his way out. And there wasn't at all. Yeah, it's just a pit. And it, it isn't like the maze is more so symbolic. So I was kind of disappointed about that at first. I was like, well, you've been like talking about a maze for so long. Right. And finally, we get to a possible maze and then you're like, nope. I, I would like to know like how far it does go in each direction though yeah my guess is it's probably it's just deep. a hole yeah it is definitely a deep hole but I, my guess is probably just probably just a hole it doesn't go very very much anywhere but i do like how um how he's been trying to figure out this maze as well with with uh on different side of loki and he almost mm-hmm. finds out and then he gets trapped mm, yes so it's just a bitter bitter moment when he gets that close yeah and it he is becomes a prisoner it's so sad because he's so close to the end he's so fo- close to finding his daughter and then he gets trapped you know yeah well and that's why i was wondering though like how far it went because i was wondering if there was like bones down there like right bodies. because we see clothes and drug bottles yeah, there's really yeah. stuff down there and he yeah. finds you know the whistle for his daughter which is a really touching moment oh you're right that is a very touching moment and it plays wonderfully into the end mm-hmm so, and he says, Almighty God, protect my girl. I thought that was great. Yeah. And like I, I mentioned this, I was going to say this earlier, but this is the prayer that is a big turning point for his character because the entire mm-hmm. time he's been praying only for himself, like give me the strength, you know? Yes. And then now yes. he's gotten to his absolute lowest point. It's like, give my daughter the strength now, you know? Yeah. Which is really powerful, I would say. And he's like, finally, it seems like he's asking God to protect her because he's always like, no. I can do it. I yeah. can protect her. God, I need your help sometimes. And he's finally just like, can you you do it? I don't have the strength anymore. Yeah. I, you know, he physically can't be do me it. who I rely on. Yeah. Right. And, he sh- and he's like learned that he's like, I'm not Superman, even though I would want to be. So that's just a great moment. Yeah. When he realizes to rely yeah. on God. And this is, this is when his, basically his character arc has ended now. And it ends in a, probably the most perfect way of the movie could do. It yeah. is now he's now he's learned at this point in the movie that he can't do everything, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And when we go back into the house, I just noticed there's a picture of an angel watching over children in the hallway. Oh, I didn't notice that. Which I think could be kind of interesting. It could be taken two ways, mm-hmm. like like the like the normal sense, like they used to have this Christian symbolism, you know, right. in their home and Christian believers, and now they're not anymore. But it, it almost like could be taken as like a hopeful sign. Yeah. That he just prayed for God to protect his daughter. And in the, like one of the next shots, we see an angel protecting children. Right. That's a good point. Like that's exactly what's going to happen, you know? And maybe, and maybe Loki is that angel. 
that guardian angel that comes in and saves the daughter right because he he like and honestly it's just kind of like this match the whole movie like between like him and loki like you didn't save my daughter you need to be protecting her and he's like but i'm her dad i need to be doing it too and it's loki is the one who saves her yeah so that's a good point. and honestly i i really like that i really like that concept yeah of he prays to god and who does god send he sends loki yeah it's mm. it's like i said it, this is a really really good movie and it definitely not only okay it's not only something that the character learns but maybe it's something that the audience can learn as well you know yeah that you know you're not going to be able to do everything you know and and yeah it's true it really does make you think that you shouldn't just rely upon your own strength yeah this this film is incredibly rewarding upon repeat viewings and just discussion absolutely i'm just just discovering so many things with Mm -hmm. this okay and this is when i just stopped taking notes yeah because it just got so crazy intense and i'm just like i i can't take notes i just have to watch i'm just locked in and mm-hmm. this is crazy this ending Ooh. is so suspenseful it is and he gets shot yeah he gets like, he, get, he gets grazed yeah he gets grazed he kills her thank goodness mm-hmm. and she says kind of a cheesy line which seemed weird but maybe in line with her weird character i don't know yeah when she's like, I don't want to be buried in a box or something like that. Yeah. That was weird. But at that point, it's already too late because she's already injected the girl with poison, you know? Yeah, I don't think she gets all of it in, though, I want to say. Maybe she does. I don't I think, know. I, yeah, I think, she, I think she does because by the time Loki gets over there, she's pulling the needle out, you know? I wasn't sure if she, like, he's like, hey, stop, and she stopped. I wasn't sure if she went through with it or... I, I think I, I, me- I think I remember seeing her going all the way through with it. Either way, okay. she injected her with poison. You know, some of which it is yeah. bad news. Yeah. So, I mean, the stakes are so high mm-hmm. because Anna could die, and and that'd that be it. that and that would be it. And that is I, that is just so intense when he's like blood is draining mm-hmm. in his eyes. If I could tell right, she might have been foaming. Yes. In the mouth. Yes, she was. Yeah. I remember seeing and he that. keeps looking back at her, driving all over the road. And the this wonderful shot of just the windshield and rain, it's just like so blurry and the windshield wipers are going so fast. Yes. That is just so intense. I, I remember I did it this time. I'm just like white knuckling my seat. Yeah. That's why I couldn't take notes. I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah, there's also oh. also a wonderful shot. If it's that it happens a couple of times, but there's a wonderful shot of just like this, like a crane. It's a crane shot of a, a very wide one where he's like weaving in and out of traffic, you know, and people are honking mm. at him. And he's going so yes. fast, you know. And you can see yes. he's kind of wobbling a little bit because he's trying to keep himself, like you know, in the lane and stuff, and pulling into different uh, different ones and going past cars. It's so intense, and also the one that you mentioned as well. Yeah, uh, this scene is just a wonderfully, wonderfully intense. Yes, scene. it's the one. I this mean, is the boy. point in the movie where um, it's the. It, this is the peak of the movie. Like this could be. Yeah. This could be anything. It's Make either it all or nothing at this point. You know. Yeah. Absolutely, and. And something I thought was weird, though, is there was no sirens on his car. Yeah. Which my only thought is he might have just been, like, in too much of a hurry to turn them on. Maybe, yeah. I mean, he got his lights on, but that's, yeah. I think it's I think it's easily excusable, and it also just ups the stakes. Right. You know, right. people see lights. They don't know what that means. Right. Uh, you know, they don't hear the sirens, though. 
But that, and now the husband's gone. And I think, I'm like, man, that is so horrible. They get the daughter back, lose the husband. Exactly. It's it's really heartbreaking because this is what the husband's been dying for this entire movie. And he doesn't get to see it, you know. Yes. And did you see that, um, how the wife, like, went from being mega, like, depressed <clears throat> to, like, just being fine? Yeah. She had a pretty big, <laughs> pretty big change there. <laughs> pretty big leap. She's, she's back. Yeah. So, well, I mean, she's the daughter's back, so I can understand. Right. But, but yeah. that wheelchair for the daughter is freaking huge. Like, she's, like, her arms are way up, you know? Oh, that was so cute. She yeah. a new red whistle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had, to, they had well, to buy her a new one. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, when they're excavating the house, it makes me think that they believe he's dead and he's been buried. Yeah, they are there at so, least. I know he mentioned that they're looking for him, but that's about it. Yeah, but if you're digging up the ground. Right, right. You're, I would, I'm like, so they think he's probably dead and they found dead snakes also. Right, they did. Which is weird. Yeah, the very, the very end of this movie is just like. So close, and then it just cuts off, you know. Oh, I love it. Yes. I said, gosh, that whistle scene gets my heart pumping every time. Yes. Like, you can just you can just barely hear it, which you wouldn't which at first was like, why would you hear it? There's so many people. How could you not find them stupid? But now after watching yeah. this scene, I'm like, well, the generator was really loud. There was no way they could have heard that whistle. That was just so faint, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. I it, I think it's the perfect ending for the movie. It is. And it's so, it's so well done because all it is is, once again, Loki and Dover. That's it. There's just them two because mm-hmm. everybody else is gone, you know. Yeah. Now he needs Loki to save him. Yep. It's just the perfect ending. It is. And the movie ends, like, Loki, like, hears it, like, stops him and goes, nah, that wasn't it. And then again and again, and he's like, okay, what was that? And turns around and it cuts. You don't ever get to see him. You're right. And I, in the theater, I actually jumped. Really? When it cut away. When it was just like, because I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. There's only like one or two other movie experiences where I've been so invested in yeah. it. Where I, I'm just like, I don't see anything else around me. Normally I'm kind of like bad about that. I mm-hmm. just like get distracted by other things. But this, I was just like so into it. And it's just like, <laughs> cuts off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, mind-blowing it's so good so alan what is your final thoughts and your recommendation for prisoners oh gosh where do i even start (laughs) this film is so good really the only things i have issues with it are just really small things you know like i'd say maybe this film's biggest problem is conveniences there are a couple moments where just like well that was convenient i guess like the book the book of mazes in like in that little box, you know, it was chained up and stuff and a couple other small moments. But for the most part, there's nothing big. That's huge. Nothing huge. That's wrong here. This film flows very, very well. Just like I mentioned before, it flows so well. And the narrative is so well done in this film that it's not only something that we get to see our characters go through and learn from what they learn, but also that we can learn as well, you know, and it kind of, like I said, we mentioned this thousands of times before, this film rides this hopeless feeling the entire runtime, even up until the very end, like the very last shot. There's always this hopeless feeling of this film, and it really, really helps because this film is a very, very gritty film, and it needs to be that way because that's the message it's trying to send to its audience, you know. And it's it's a very, very interesting in its contrasts, you know, between the villain, the villains, and like 
the in like the supposed victims. And I have my notes at one point. I was like, this is this film is almost backwards. You know, the the villains are like they're getting help, but at the same time, Dober, who is supposed to be the victim, is being the villain. You know, so. This is definitely not something for the faint of heart. I'm just going to say that. I don't really have too much else to say because we both have said basically almost everything. So in the end, I think we're going to give this film probably a 9 out of 10. It's a fantastic movie. And the, this, is, this is one of those movies that I just I love to watch because it's so well written and so well cut together that it's just a joy and almost a breath of fresh air to be like, this is, this is a good film that came out in 2013, you know? So in, uh, so yeah, nine out of 10, I would say very, very, very high recommend. So good. Yeah. I mean, wow. What, what else can I say? But wow. I, I mean, prisoners is a deep, dark introspective film that challenges the core of all of us. It asks us what we would do in an impossible situation. It makes our skin crawl the more we traverse the layers of the seemingly unbeatable maze. Each character represents a facet that can be found in all of us. You experience the despairing journey over the course of a week in an elongated two and a half hours. Everything feels stagnant, helpless, and simply like a dead end. But it's still so filled with potential mm-hmm. that it just wow. Okay, but like like you said, Prisoners is not a film for everyone, and everything in the maze. There is no dead ends, really. Every passage connects once you reach the center, in a way. And and honestly, I'm going to say it. I think this film is much darker than The Silence of the Lambs. I'd not agree with you on that one. Maybe that we maybe we can discuss that later or something. But yeah, I still sure. feel The Silence of the Lambs, in terms of its subject matter, is darker than Prisoners. Okay. Well, I mean, I do have a couple issues with the film being like a few plot threads remaining open. But that's just me. Like I want... I just want to know, like, it's just hard when you, like, leave those open, but it's, like I said, it's a maze. Not everything is going to be traversed and resolved. And so I I was, like, slightly disappointed that not everything was wrapped up. But then again, it's not really meant to wrap everything up. Prisoners is not a movie designed to wrap up every loose end, clearly shown in the final moments of the film. And those small complaints aside, Prisoners kept me captive. I enjoyed going through the maze. And I was thankful certain passages were not taken, honestly. I was thankful we didn't go down some of those dark passages. And I was glad the ending had a hopeful resolution, which pacified my anxious nerves that will stay with me well after each viewing. Prisoners rewards viewers with multiple viewings. I still don't believe I've deciphered everything, maybe. I still feel like I could go back and maybe pick up on oh, a few things. I definitely could too. There's still more in this movie that we haven't discussed that I feel like is still in here somewhere. Ab- absolutely. But I mean, Prisoners, is it's a brutal film. Oh, yeah. It is. It has top-notch performances, an incredibly written, twisted story, and one of the best mystery crime thrillers of the 21st century. I am giving Prisoners... 10 stars out of 10 yes a glorious 10 out of 10 it it gets my highest recommendation 
that's the highest you can go. That's the highest you could ever go, a 10 out of 10. That's the highest. And honestly, I kind of struggled between giving it a 9 or a 10. And the more we discussed it, I'm like, I have to give this film a 10. Just because of the deep symbolism and just... Absolutely. Oh. Honestly, my first rating for that first watch of the movie is like, 8. That was it. I was <laughs> like, I'm going to give it 8. Good enough. But after discussing this film, I was just like, no. That's way too low. And 9 is, for me, it's a perfect score, you know. Yeah. It's definitely something, like I said before, and I'm still going to say because it's true, this is an experience. This is yeah. not a, I wouldn't, it's hard for me to say, oh yeah, Prisoners, it's a good movie. It's more, it's more on the side of this is more of a really great experience because this film just does so well of just making like a movie that's for its audience. That's why, that's how you make a good film is one that captivates his audience and brings the audience in and makes them like rewards them with not only multiple viewings but things in the film like hey like this is one that you're not going to be able to go in and be like i'm just gonna watch for fun no you have to you have to go in and think about this film this is a film you have to like you have to really sit down and think about it okay yes and i i completely agree in the reason okay i think a this is much darker than silence of the lambs and i'll say why here in a second and b I personally think, in a way, this is better than Silence of the Lambs. Why so? Okay, starting with A, I say this is darker because this film is this film has this constant, really drab atmosphere. Everything is dark. Everything is despairing. Everything is depressing. Mm-hmm. There's almost never a moment of joy except in the very beginning. The very beginning is so joyful, and then you just feel so so helpless. Whereas I don't necessarily feel that way in Silence of the Lambs. I feel like they're going to solve it. Whereas with this, I feel like there's the possibility that these girls could just die or disappear forever. And this could leave me that way. And honestly, they do leave the audience that way for most of the whole film. In Silence of the Lambs, we see the girl who's kidnapped and she's really resourceful. So I don't feel too afraid of her like i do with like a innocent seven eight nine year old 10 11 12 even to that age mm-hmm. so i don't feel as nervous for her and honestly uh clarice has lector as a guide pretty much to help her out because lector in the end he's like i'm gonna help you out in the end but i want you to play a game with me so that's why i mean you you know i feel like you kind of know eventually it's going to happen She's going to figure it out. She's going to find her. Whereas with this, I don't feel that. There is nobody helping these poor people. Right. I mean, they're just maybe getting little snippets of information, and they all feel like red herrings. They all feel like dead ends. Mm-hmm. This is this film feels so hopeless, but I'm thankful that it, it doesn't. It, it ends with a hopeful ending. So yeah. that's why I say it's darker. And the reason I say that I like this better is because I feel like even though we discussed for so long Silence of the Lambs, we mostly just discussed um, the symbolism and what's behind it. I would say this one kind of makes you think a little more with the story. Mm -hmm. And I just think the story is honestly a little more well-written. Silence of the Lambs is more of like, and I'm not trying to downplay it because I think it's an incredible film, obviously. But it just seems more like a mainstream kind of, and maybe that's just because we live in 2016, mm-hmm. and back in 1991 it wasn't. But looking back on it now, Silence of the Lambs seems a little more like, more like of a clear cut detective mystery 
you know, thriller. Right. Whereas this really seems like, I know there are movies that have been like this before. Right. You know, and and that's why we're that's why we're pairing it with this series because it is so similar to absolutely Silence of the Lambs and it goes with it so well. I just think that the realism of this, the character dynamics, I don't know. I feel like you can just get sucked into it more than Silence of the Lambs. Whereas Hannibal, you can't relate to him. Clarice is kind of like a young girl. This is like a family, and it's just taking like a really scary, unique situation, and it's just written so well with the maze and everything. Mm-hmm. And I will say there is actually one thing, one piece that I have seen that's very similar to this. It's actually darker than this, <laughs> and I think it's slightly written better. But, I, okay, I want to hear your rebuttal now. Okay. Um, I, after hearing what you have to say, I'm, I'll agree with you on most everything. Okay. I'll say that prisoners, because of it, because of the way that his story is written and who the story is for, it's darker than Silence of the Lambs. But I would say that Silence of the Lambs is more disturbing than Prisoners because of its subject matter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because sure. yeah, Silence of the Lambs definitely deals with a, a lot. I would say a lot more adult themes and. Yes than prisoners does because prisoners more of like a family like a more more on the family side whereas silence of the lambs is more on like the the demented and psychologically broken side okay i just don't think that prisoners could technically go there because i think there's a there's a point where you could actually just kind of like break the audience no no yeah i agree give them too much so if you like did bring in because they kind of like hint at those avenues yeah of those weird dark sexual avenues that you don't want to think about mm-hmm. that Silence of the Lambs talks about. Yeah. So in that sense, I would say Silence of the Lambs is more disturbing with its, right. with those subject right. matters. And I'm not trying to say that prisoners should have gone this way or that way. No, I'm, I think sure. both films are great the way, the way they are. They're two very, I would say they're two pretty different films. They ride the same lines of like the same story structure and everything. But when it comes to like subject matter and everything, I would say that Silence of the Lambs is, more disturbing because it's meant to be that way but prisoners is more darker because it's meant to be that way they're both very dark and very disturbing in their own ways but they're also very different i completely agree okay but which one do you think is better um i'm gonna have to go with silence of the lambs because i think the thing that sold it for me would have been the relationship between Hannibal Lecter and Agent Sterling because it's just done so well because it's, it's one only one thing in the film but that's like one of the main focuses of it whereas Prisoners is a bit more like in-depth and goes different different avenues and stuff which is I'm not saying both either one's wrong I just I like to I just prefer the relationship side over you know the prisoners like what what would what would you do in this situation side because I just, I don't know, I, I feel like I get more a bit more personality out of both Hannibal Lecter and Agent Starling from Sons of the Lambs. Yes. That's what I would say. I, 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 can, I can understand that. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, but what I was referring to, I wanted to make sure it actually wasn't directed by the same person as Prisoners, and it's not. Um, what I was referring to that is darker than this, than Prisoners, is it, okay, it brings the destruction disturbing aspect of silence of the lambs and i think it's even more disturbing than that and it's darker than this and the story is actually maybe slightly better 
is the first season of True Detective. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me about that. So, and True Detective came out after Prisoners, I believe. The At least the first season. Yeah, the first season of... We got Prisoners in 2013. Then we got the first season of True Detective in 2014. Um, it's. I think it could be a possibility that Alan and I could review True Detective. I mean, I think it's like masterfully done and it's incredible and it's very similar to this. Like we talked about how Prisoners is a spiritual successor to Silence of the Lambs. Well, I would say True Detective is a spiritual successor to Prisoners. Gotcha. But I, I, I don't know. It's really hard because the True Detective has a 9.1. On, I gave it a 10 out of 10, Yeah, <laughs> if that tells you anything yeah. <laughs> for the entire series. So it, it, it's really hard. I don't, it's, it's kind of like hard one to say that I would own mm-hmm. just because of how dark it goes. Right. Okay. Because it does deal with like children kind of and being abducted or young people. And you know how like we, we talked like, oh, well, we don't want it to go down those dark avenues. Right. That's where a true detective goes. Gotcha. Gotcha. In really, really bizarre ways. And I don't know. It's it's pretty hard to watch. So I don't know if we'll want to review it. But I'm just saying if if like prisoners didn't give you all that you wanted, then I recommend you go watch True Detective, but fortify yourself for a really dark experience. I mean it's I mean for some people it's probably worth it. I mean I think it was really great. I honestly yeah. think you would like it, Alan. Um, just from the story standpoint and um the acting is incredible, and it's just incredibly well done, but it's just a lot darker. Yeah, this. yeah. So, but yeah. I think that is, I think that wraps up the Prisoners yeah, review. Yeah, that does, you know, does. three hours later. <laughs> <laughs> this is our longest review. This is our longest review. They longer keep getting longer. <laughs> we had more to say about this than we did Silence. I'm really surprised about that. Yeah, we, we definitely, I feel like there's also a lot more to talk about here too than silence the lambs yeah and that's kind of why i was saying i felt like it was a better story just because i feel like there was so much yeah i would agree to it i would agree but thank you so much listeners for if you're listening right now we really appreciate you sticking with us absolutely for this long to listen to us we really hope that we kind of helped you understand the film better and we uh, kind of gave better insights into it, and it was it now prisoners can be more of a an enjoyable mm-hmm. experience because you can see that symbolism, you can see what they're going for, and you can appreciate it a little more just like we do. Right, and I'd also say that we, me and Corbin probably also learned something too, just out of yeah. our own inferences. <laughs> oh yeah, like I I like learned so much more than what I just had mm-hmm. with that viewing. Like I appreciate the film so much more, and honestly, there's a movie that. Um, Denise Villeneuve's movie after this called Enemy. Yes, I really want to see that. I have seen it. I absolutely love it. We are definitely going to review that sometime. Yes. We just need to do a Denise Villeneuve uh, retrospective. But you never know. We we may we may return to Denise Villeneuve. But I think we need a break from uh, his dark world that he does like to delve into. Yeah. Not saying things are going to get much brighter next time you join us because we will be reviewing uh, our final and well, at least my final installment in the Hannibal Lecter series with Red Dragon, Dragon. which is actually a remake or a redo of Manhunter. 
So please join us next time for that. We want to really thank you for, but thank you again, listeners, so much. Make sure for more great content and more great written reviews, go to silverscreenguide.wordpress.com. Make sure to like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all kinds of movie news and information. And also with Twitter, you can find us on those social media platforms with those names. Again, we really want to appreciate all the downloads, all the followers we've been getting. We're just really happy to be doing this. We love talking about films. Clearly, if we didn't love talking about films, we wouldn't have sat here for over three hours to discuss these films. So we love movies, just like you guys clearly love movies because you've been sticking with us. So we want to thank you very, very much again. We are excited to come back with Red Dragon and wrap up this series. And we're not going to say what our next series is just yet, but we promise it's going to be something a little lighter We just want to thank you again, and we look forward for you to join us next time. Well, for those who stuck around for the entire length of uh, this three-hour and some change podcast, there is a cut conversation that I pulled out back in 2017 when I edited this uh, that really just kind of didn't really, I guess, fit with where it was in the podcast at the time um so i'm just going to put at the end here in case you wanted to ever hear a a conversation that just never made the final cut it's only about two and a half minutes it's pretty short nothing too crazy uh but just a little easter egg for those who stuck around for the entire length is it scary to think that this movie has a lot more christian parallels in it than most christian movies do themselves well I mean, yeah, I feel like that's probably a discussion for another time. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you you have like a masterful director, though. Right. Who you is, have someone you have someone who can really incorporate. Uh, they can really incorporate Christian themes into a story that isn't true. necessarily Christian theme based. And and those normally are the most powerful stories. Yeah. Because they're not hitting you over the head with this Christian message. Right. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. really causing you to think about it. They're not because when you're just like, oh, hey, this is how it is and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Then I think your audience is less prone to accept it. And it's definitely not as powerful because you're just you're clearly playing with their emotions, mm-hmm. you know, on purpose. Whereas this is it has a very real situation and it uses that situation to talk about uh, faith. Right. Right. And causes the audience member, causes the individual to go through that journey. Because, yeah, honestly, you're like, God has abandoned these people, you know, mm-hmm. or I, I, it causes you to it. Like this movie has caused me to ask these questions, too. Would right. I would I kidnap Alex? Would I beat him like that? Would I think the same way? Would I get as angry? And I'm not one to cuss you know, to, to curse, to swear. But honestly, like when Hugh Jackman tells Loki, he's like, all right, just, just shut the F up for one minute. Just shut the F up. You know, I, I, I honestly really like that scene. Yeah. And I like the dialogue was written that way. Not because I, I like cussing. I condone that usage, but it's real. And I think that's important. Right. It's important right. to be true to the character. It's important to be real. And honestly, if I was in that situation, I would probably be saying those same words. Right. You it's know? it's kind of one of those things he's like in the moment, like now you would say, oh, no, I'd never do that ever. Right. But if you're in the moment, it's like you'd be a completely different person because now you just want answers. You just want to know where your daughters are at. Why are you not doing anything to help me? You know, 
so in that aspect i would i would probably the same way i probably like just on my knees just like why are you not doing anything to help me why can't you do anything you know you're my only you're my only hope why aren't you doing anything 